0: Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. There
1: are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping like a fresh new breeze. Let the old world make believe. It's blind and fast.
2: Shape of things nothing can change the shape of things nothing can change the shape of things
1: nothing
2: can
3: change the shape of things to Welcome to the Future Quake show. I am Dr. Future and I'm
4: Tom Bionic and this week we're going to talk with the Boveroff sisters,
3: Melissa and Emily, yes, the authors of the book Seven Candles, mm-hmm. The Reclaiming of Haven. And we're gonna talk about the present attraction to the occult by society's youth, yeah, and it's probably readily apparent to most people that I don't have my normal silky voice,
4: you know, I was just gonna say that uh um, sitting in for Dr Future was Isaac Hayes this week <laughs>
3: well, as they say in church, I've been on the bed of affliction, yes, it's true, I've been providentially hindered, yeah,
4: um, you know anybody <coughs> out there Excuse in me. The, anybody out there in the sound of my voice, uh you know, just uh. Uh, If you would just just pray for uh, Doctor Future, he's uh he's got he's got the bronchitis and he's got the
3: other plagues,
4: and he's got he's got all seven plagues at the same time.
3: Antibiotics don't seem to touch it. I don't know what it is. I'm afraid I've come under attack because of the tremendous effectiveness of Future Quake. You think that's it?
4: I think both listeners are really moved. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know... Um,
3: I like I like the sound. It sounds like I just smoked a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. I'm you sound like
4: uh, uh, Marge Simpson's sisters, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> if we well, could ladies, just get you that giant hair.
2: We're sure sorry about <laughs> uh,
3: about that. And I appreciate Tom uh, carrying away here. We're going to have a great interview uh, with these ladies. Yeah. The, the, these young ladies... Um, uh, keep in perspective, they're both teenagers, and they've done something very bold in writing their own book and getting published and uh, Tom Horn has also been mm-hmm. very bold in seeing some talent uh, present with them and uh, one of his publishing houses is publishing it and uh, um, but uh, you'll you'll find it very interesting we normally don't have Young people, young teenagers, on our show like this. But no, no, a different even, dynamic. Even though,
4: even though we both act like teenagers, almost on a minute by or minute basis. Are even more basis, childish. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say four years old typically. Yeah. Uh, at least in my my half of the studio.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I hope you can uh, find uh, uh, some encouragement for these girls in in what you hear and yeah. and marvel at for their age, um, their boldness to talk about things on a show and not being intimidated by two giants of the media like you and I, talk.
4: Kingmakers. And they're they're in front of kingmakers, and yet mm-hmm. they quiver not.
3: Sort of like that uh, play, The King and I. You know? I was
4: thinking of more like The Fisher King.
3: Oh, okay. Or I, well, I was thinking about it, like Esther coming before the king. Oh. You know, like where if he didn't like you, you just died.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I don't I don't see that you too know, much. You don't sense that future. air of intimidation? No, not so much. Perhaps back in your grappling days.
3: <laughs> you always mention my grappling days.
4: Yeah, well, you know, it's. I, I was
3: known as Marvelous Mike back then. Yeah,
4: yeah. The scientific <coughs> rest. That's wrestler. right,
3: exactly. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we need to go on to our interview uh, with Melissa and Emily Boverhoff. It was wonderful to have them with us, and we'll be right back to uh, wrap it up at the end of it. Until then, here is our first segment of our interview. With the Bovarofs. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dr. Future of the Future Quake Show. And with Tom Bionic. I was introducing you Yeah, there. I'm,
4: I'm <laughs>
3: <laughs> With Tom Bionic. And um, I know you all have noticed a vast improvement in our voice, you fellow Futurians out there. Uh, still a yeah. little under the weather here for this uh, interview, so I appreciate you bearing with me. But we wanted to make sure we, we got this very important interview in mm-hmm. with our, our guest uh, for this week, Melissa and Emily Bovaroff. The authors of Seven Candles: The Reclaiming of Haven, and we're going to talk uh, this week about the present attraction to the occult by society's youth. And uh, Melissa and Emily, it's just wonderful to have you here on Future Quake.
5: Well, thank you very much for having us. Well, I've heard a
3: lot of good things about you all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know uh, you've had some affiliation with uh, another friend of our show, Tom Horn, here, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, is running a publishing house. I believe it's publishing your book, correct? Yep. Well, we won't hold it against you for the company you keep.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but uh you may be tainted a little bit from a guy like uh Tom particularly since he's not here to uh, defend himself. Uh, to, to get our discussions uh going today, could you just share with us a little bit about yourselves, uh your background and how you all became to be uh disciples of Jesus Christ?
5: Sure. Well, I'm Emily. I'm 16. This is my junior year in high school. I'm homeschooled. I'm active in my church and youth group. I'm in 4-H and we have a hobby farm and that's a lot of fun. So, and for how I became a disciple of Jesus Christ, well, I've been blessed to have been raised in a Christian home where my parents have been a constant example to me on how I should live my life and what should be the most important thing which is Jesus Christ. I realized at a very young age that I needed Jesus as my Savior to come into my life and cleanse me of my sins. From that point on, I've been growing constantly in my walk with Christ. And my story is pretty much the same. I'm Melissa Boberhoff. I'm 18 years old. I graduated this year, 08, and I was homeschooled my whole life also. And um, I was th- three, almost four years old, and I realized that I needed Jesus to come into my life. And since then, I've been growing and trying to seek God's will for my life.
3: Wow. Well, wow. Um... You know, uh, the, the church that uh, Tom and I attend uh, has a large, thriving homeschooling community,
6: mm-hmm. and,
3: and Mrs. Future, in fact, is uh, doing some teaching with a local homeschooling group. Uh, I, I'm finding that uh, people who come from that experience um, are smarter. <laughs> <I wasn't okay. laughs> they uh, they they tend to be extremely, and I can't make a blanket statement, but tend to be very well adjusted, highly mm-hmm. motivated. And do things like write their own books, although that might be sort of uh, frontier kind of stuff for uh, teenagers your age to come out with your own published book, which, by the way, that's a tremendous achievement that you've yeah. done to be able to do that.
5: Oh, thank you. You,
3: you know, y'all are young enough, you got room to write like 500 more books yeah. or something. <laughs> you could just stack them to the ceiling. All right, we'll make that ce- our goal. <laughs> yeah. You could stack them to the ceiling. Uh, <clears throat> Well, other than that, it, you know, my impression of, of, of your description is that you've you've had a, a very wholesome, well-adjusted lifestyle that uh, is is built on uh, very very strong foundations, and I'm sure that gives you a uh, a good background even as a young person to sort of understand what matters in life and how the world really works. And uh, I think it's a neat opportunity that you've used uh, uh, fictional uh, writing as a way to be able to uh, show your worldview.
5: Mhm. It's been it's been awesome to have a Christian family and have such wonderful backing and support on all sides. Both sides of our family have strong Christian values and our church has helped push us along with this this whole thing. It's just been wonderful.
3: Right. And uh, you know that that is a real privilege. Uh, a lot of us. I was blessed also in a you know strong Christian home, and um, it's something that's easy to take for granted. And, and all of our guests that we have come from a wide variety. Of Christian experiences, and I've met the Lord at different ages and different conditions. And uh, uh, like the Bible says, don't let anyone despise your youth uh, mm-hmm. in your service for the Lord. Now, uh, you know, most sisters don't get along very well uh, enough to cooperate uh, <laughs> on even, a book. or even the most modest of projects, like making a bed or washing dishes or yeah. cleaning the room or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you all decide to become authors? and to write this particular book, and, and to be even be associated with Tom Horne.
5: Well, it's kind of funny. It started out at our barn when we were doing our chores. We were talking about books, and then we found out we both wanted to write one, so we decided to write one together. And we wanted it to be a fantasy book with a message in it for teens, because that was the type of book we liked to read. Oh. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when we were getting closer to finishing our book, we started thinking maybe it was possible to get published. So we found this website called christianmanuscriptsubmissions.com. We researched that a little bit more and did a lot more praying. And Mm. we decided to post our book proposal. Uh And there you would get to have your book proposal on there for six months for a fee, of course. During that six months, you had a 60% chance that a publisher would look at it. Mm. And... Because we prayed so much, we wanted to put it in God's hands. And, right. And so basically by putting it on the Internet, we were kind of backing off. We weren't, you know, pursuing it, mailing it to every publisher we could find. We were saying, here it is. If God wants it to happen, it will. Mm-hmm.
3: So you he sort of laid out the fleece, in other words.
5: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. hmm Yeah. And then three months later, we got a email that said it was concerning our book proposal. On christian dot com and it was from Tom Horn's publishing house wow. so a little later, and some more prayer, we signed a contract, went through the editing processes, and here we are today,
3: Wow, you know, I think most people ring Tom Horn's doorbell trying to get him to publish their book and hear Tom Horn is chasing you down.
2: that's mm-hmm.
3: uh, a real feather in your hat now, uh did you only at that time just put a proposal together or a very brief treatment of it? Or had you written an entire book by that time?
5: Well, we had almost completed it. We were very close to being done, but we'd only had the proposal on the Internet. So that's that's like the first 3,000 words on the Internet and then a description of the rest of it.
3: Wow. Hmm. So would you, uh, you know, given uh, your age and the fact that you had many other things to do, chores and school and things like that, um, you still find a way to do this and be successful? I assume you'd encourage other people of our listeners to... uh, to be bold and do the same thing as well, right?
5: Yes, very much so.
3: Well, uh, i got to ask you this real quick question before we get into the, to the subject matter of the book. Um, you, how was it? Was it stressful for you two? I mean, did you hit each other a lot or push <laughs> each other around the room? Was there any throwing of any objects involved?
5: Oh, not no. too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think we got along pretty good. I think we only had maybe a few, what do you call... They weren't arguments. They were heated discussions. disagreements. Just disagreements. But so we worked through them pretty fast. Yeah. And I mean, both of our parents have been into the you got to get along because you can't pick your relatives. You're stuck with them. So <laughs> work work things out now. Well, you can. Hmm. So I don't I don't think we maybe only one really where we had a problem disagreement. I think we got everything. We were found. We were both have been thinking pretty close to the same thing. Wow different views of it it's really it's been amazing how it's all worked out it's like incredible i'll be thinking something and emily goes i was thinking the same thing and it's almost creepy and they can be slightly different and we'll put them together and they're even better Mm -hmm. it's
4: like y'all were sisters or something yeah
3: well no they're (laughs) much better than sisters i only wish you and i got along the same time
4: i'm gonna turn your mic down here Uh,
3: i don't know how many times our disagreements in the studio here have led to duels (laughs) yeah. <laughs> thank goodness we're both poor shots. Yeah. yeah. The future Quick
4: Studios Pockmark with bullet holes. Yeah, occasionally
3: over. fencing occasionally. Yeah. Uh arm wrestling. You know, whatever it takes. We have done rock, paper, scissors on there. Yeah. But oh. uh you all must get along extremely well on your own to do something as um, there there's so much emotional energy you put into something like this when this is your baby, uh for you all to work along like this. I, I would recommend that you keep the team together as long as you can. Uh mm-hmm. well can we get on to uh, really talking a little bit about your book? Can you give us, just to start off, a very brief synopsis of the premise of your book?
5: Well, in a nutshell, it's, this is the first of three books. It's a trilogy, for, a fantasy. It follows the story of seven men who are given sort of a great commission. Because in the book, it starts off with a history of hundreds of years ago, an ancient ruler of this land's son was killed by his people, and now his son is going to be returning. Kind of parallel to Jesus Christ. And a messenger is sent together these seven men to try to tell the rest of the land to prepare for his coming back. So basically, it's just following them through their journey and their encounters and the stuff they run into and have to deal with, pretty much.
3: Hmm. Wow. Um, so is it sort of meant to be like a, an allegory with some Christian kind of themes, similar yes. to, like, say, the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe?
5: Yes, yes, very much.
3: Okay. But it's... Uh... Um, completely different uh, premise, characters, a different mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. that you set everything in, different goals, that kind of thing. Oh yeah,
5: mm-hmm. yeah. It shares its similarities, but it's definitely a lot different too. A book in itself.
2: Mhm.
3: Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, it's it's apparent uh, in your book that the uh, the the seven people that possess the seven necklaces, the key thing in your book. Uh, mm-hmm. It, that they relate to the seven churches in Revelation, or is there mm-hmm. there's some connection there? Uh, can you explain that further? And 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 why did you decide to add allegorical symbols like like in your book like that? And are there any other ones that you can point out without giving the the story away?
5: <laughs> well, we decided to do that because mainly because we like to read books that way, and mm-hmm. um, you know I like to when I read a book to set it down and I'm all done and think wow I never thought of it that way before kind of give you a new view on something like a lot of C.S. Lewis books do that you're like I never thought of it that way just a new view on something and I'm the type of person that when I read a book if it doesn't grab me like in the first 10 pages I won't finish it Mm -hmm. so we want to have it start fast because I know lots of people like me who can if it doesn't grab them right away they're not going to finish it. Right so we wanted besides the fact we wanted to put that in there though, it's because when you do watch those types when you read those type of books or you read a movie with the symbols in it or you listen to music with extra stuff in it, it's more than just entertainment it's like it gives you a new way of looking at an old truth, so when you're just I love the feeling when you're just finished reading or watching or listening to music like that, and then you get your Bible out to do your devotions and you find the passage or the verse that came off of where they got this from, their inspiration. So it kind of gives, I mean, even giving doing your devotions a new excitement. It makes it almost an adventure.
2: Mm-hmm. You
5: know, this is directly how it relates to the Bible, and this is a story that explains it better, and how it relates to me at the same time. So it puts it in more present times.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's just,
5: it's really exciting, and I love doing that. So we're like, you know, we got to write a book that does the same thing, because it makes those points. And the Bible does the same thing. It makes tell stories. Jesus told stories all the time. They called them parables in the Bible. And, you know, they just they're just stories to illustrate a point. So that's why we decided to write a book with a story that illustrated a point, you know, telling the greatest story, only in a little more modern English. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear that there's other people like me that when you see something you like, you think, man, I'd like to take a crack at that. Because mm-hmm. that's the way I've always been. I used to, when I'd watch movies, and I'd think, oh, why didn't I do it this way or that way? And that's when mm-hmm. I began making my own feature-length movies, even though I didn't have any business doing it, didn't have any training. But I thought I'd rather be making them than watching them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm still sort of that way. But, you know, it's what's, to give you an example of what you're talking about, how the allegories can hit you in my own personal life, um, I used to like a lot of fictionalized kind of stuff when I was younger. Uh, a lot of my movies were fictionalized stories, allegories, like what you were saying. And then as I got older, I went toward nonfiction, and I Mm -hmm. almost felt like I sort of grew up out of fiction. But then I went on and went and saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with a bunch of people at church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I had read it in the fifth grade. I just really wasn't wasn't all that motivated. But there was one scene when Aslan, the, the lion, leaves the camp and goes to offer himself up. To, mm-hmm. to all that terrible abuse, and just leaves quietly, and, and such a majestic creature, that is just in the hands of those just fiends and villains, and, and is just terribly abused until his life is taken. I was so moved by that scene because seeing those fictional characters made me understand what Jesus had done, and I was like much more than all the the gospel stories and movies I'd seen about Jesus I'd ever seen. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's an image I'll never get out of my head.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I I know what you mean about the power of that, and I can understand it. And I hope your books have the same kind of impact on people, too. Maybe one day they'll be brought to the screen, too.
5: Well, that would be yeah.
3: awesome. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> maybe you can play some of the parts in it, too. That'd be even better. <laughs> hey, what do you uh, – I, I sort of alluded to this, but ultimately, what do you hope to accomplish with this book? Do you have any kind of goals or Things you want to see, if if it was a success, obviously, the more books people buy, you know, that's good. But is there a certain thing you want to do with with folks in particular?
5: Well, particularly, we want to encourage people. It's sort of, you know, if you look at books of this genre for teenagers, you don't find very many of them with Christian perspective. There's not very many of them out there. And they're not written specifically with teenagers in mind, you know, with their vocabulary, their attention spans. So we wanted to write a book that would be for Christian teenagers, but at the same time for non-believers, so that it would be an encouragement and a thought provoker. At the same time, basically, we want that feeling, people to get that feeling of the the power of the allegory, and they didn't, you know, never thought of it that way or never seen it for this angler. It makes sense now. thats I think ultimately what we really want to accomplish is just to... See that come through and that'd be great to come a movie that would be awesome <laughs> but, really cool But and we'd also like um for it to be a door opener for i mean we've gotten to go places and talk to people and see things we've never been able to do if it hadn't been for this book i mean we got to go to florida down there to promote the book and we never would have gone there mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for this and while we're down there there's people that live there And you talk to them, and they're like, so why are you here? And, you know, well, we're promoting our book. And they say, well, what's it about? And there you go. You have your door open. You can talk about the book, you know, your testimony. You can witness to them. It's just, and we hope it would be that for other people. They can, Mm. oh, I read this book. Let's talk about it, you know, just the door opener to get your foot in there.
3: Well, I I know you meant to mention this, but uh, probably one of those dreams you never thought would happen would be on the Future Quake show.
5: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh
2: Uh (laughs) Yeah.
3: I know you and a lot of your teenage friends have probably just fantasized about the opportunity to be on our show and talk to the real Dr. Future and Tom Bion.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when when they do do the movie of your uh, of your book, if they have, like, a strong man, you know, part there, uh, I, I'm going to recommend that you uh, cast Dr. Future in that role.
3: Particularly if they're like an ogre or a troll or something. <laughs> yeah. Something, something sort of, you know, misshapen or one eye bigger than the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... How's your book been received by the industry and the in the in the public so far? Have you had any kind of feedback or any other kind of experiences? Obviously it's sort of exciting what you just told us uh with the, with the people you met in Florida and elsewhere. Uh any other uh things that you've observed or advice you have for other potential writers?
5: Well, so far it's been good. We've only had a couple of book signings and one other interview and of course went down to Florida. Almost everyone who has read our book has liked it. Mostly teenagers. Well, that's who we wrote the book for, so that's a mm-hmm. good thing. And how it's really doing—it's hard to say right now. We're just getting started, but our personal experiences have been really good. Mm-hmm. Really good feedback. And oh, advice for future or aspiring authors—I'd say—is tell them to do it. Pray about it and see if it's in God's will, and then do it. Don't sit around. I mean, we met an author was a fellow anomalous author down in Florida, who is in his 50s. And he had waited all this time to publish it, his book. He'd been thinking about it while he was a teenager. And he says, seeing us, seeing us, our sisters as teenagers, she says, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would not have waited so long to try to do this. So I think that would be a good advice for other authors to pray about it. And if it's in God's will, it'll happen.
3: Hmm. Uh, yeah, so many times we talk ourselves out of things. And mm-hmm. we, we we try to busy ourselves with busy work because we don't want to face just getting over the hump of starting a venture like this
2: mm-hmm. and we
3: don't we don't trust ourselves and things like that and, and really, the Christian walk it's not about us. it's just mm-hmm. you, you do what, you, what you're called to do. it's not you to judge one way or the other, because it 's all for God's glory, not for our own. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't be so so sensitive uh you know about how we're perceived as individuals. we're really on a here. Uh, whatever whatever the Lord gives us to do. Uh, well, I, I guess in, in, in thinking about how your book's been received, have you hit, heard any reports of uh, book burnings of your book or anything? <laughs>
2: no.
3: Well, no
5: that's,
3: not yet, That's a good sign. So no bonfires you've heard where people gather them together?
5: <laughs> no.
3: Nope. What about any, like, uh, websites that have come up, you know, protesting your book or yep. anything like that?
4: Nobody's tried to smear you personally in the media or anything?
5: None. I haven't found any.
3: I was going to say, you know, we could start a website like that if that would help promote your book.
2: Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever <laughs>
3: we do, do not read Seven Candles. Start a little
4: start a little controversy, yeah. You know, what do they say? Oh, yeah. no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah,
3: heaven mm-hmm. forbid, don't read about Haven.
4: <laughs> if,
3: if you need our help like that, you know, we'd certainly be glad to do it. Oh, yeah. The only thing I see your book's really missing is I don't see an endorsement on the back cover of the book from uh, either of us.
4: Oh. <laughs> we'll have to That, that to might up. affect their sales negatively.
3: Well, the next 499, I highly recommend you keep us in mind. Yeah. That okay? <laughs> yeah. We will we will keep a, a list of uh, adjectives and words like stellar and things like that that we Powerful. can use on Moving. the back of So, uh, <laughs> just keep us in mind. Uh and, and by the way, um I know uh, we we heard uh, uh Brother Tom Horn uh mention that he uh he might make some characters of us in his uh, next uh, Arrowman Gate uh, sequel. So I think the same thing applies to you, Melissa and Emily, if you uh, yeah. want to work in some characters. Some
4: new, some new major characters that are sort of, you know. Extremely handsome. Very tall. Everybody loves. They're just amazing. Yeah. Those kind of people. Yeah. And you could change a
3: couple <laughs> letters of our names, you know. Yeah. So it's not quite the Lom same.
4: Rionic and <laughs> Rockter Moocher. <laughs> See,
3: we're here to help yeah. so we're just trying to we're help you a success guys, you know, we
4: try to keep it clicking
3: alright we're back at the future Quake show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic and uh, here on the bed of affliction where I am um, yeah I you know, wonder fo- if he had any thoughts about.
4: well first of all folks again if you wanted to uh, pray for Dr. Future uh, we would sure appreciate it yeah. just lift him up in prayer with his uh, He's got all the seven plagues at once there.
3: Or if you could lay me, Plus like four people that, lower me on a, on a pallet. Yeah, there you go. Down in the house where Jesus is.
4: Yeah, yeah. Just don't fall asleep on us there or anything. Yeah. Um. No, Boverhoffs. Yes. Yes. They, um. you know, very sweet girls and everything and very bold. You know, talk about activists to be able to write mm-hmm. a book, at, you know,
3: like 18 years old. And what did you say about their name?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Their name, to me, sounds like it's... Like European royalty. Like there should be some jewels somewhere in a safe deposit box the called
0: Boverhof.
3: the
4: Boverhoff jewels or something.
3: Do you think they wear tiaras during the interview?
4: You know, yeah. interesting question.
3: Well, they're queens in our book, yeah. but uh, someone else who's a queen in our book is Merv. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Merv, come in and tell our listeners how they can find out more about Future Quake.
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture@futurequake.com. at futurequake.com. That's d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, uh, we got to go. I'm,
0: I don't know what to say about it. Well
3: then, I'm going to say I hope your future is bright until tomorrow. Good night.
0: Hallelujah. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake. quake.
1: Change
3: the shape of to come. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And
4: I'm the only non-sick person in the room.
3: Yes, he's the Florence Nightingale of the Future Quake <laughs> staff right now.
4: <laughs> Folks, uh, I, I told you all to do this yesterday and I'm going to repeat my call. Just... Uh, Lift uh old brother, old brother future up here in prayer if you can.
3: Please lay your hands on the radio. Yep. Or on the uh, computer yeah. terminal.
4: Yeah. If you're driving, don't take your hands off the wheel necessarily. Well, unless you, know, you do it in unless faith. you're stopped. Yes.
3: Yeah. Please, I, I sure appreciate a prayer for old Doctor Future mm-hmm. very much because this has gone on for a long time, mm-hmm. and unless uh, this, this is the voice I'm supposed to use for the rest of my radio career, mm-hmm. however long it is. You and um. You and the Wolf. Well, we we have been with uh, Melissa and Emily Bovaroff, the authors of Seven Candles, Mm -hmm. The Reclaiming of Haven, a new book they've written that's a fantasy story that sort of has some allegories to the Bible. Yes. Uh, Tom Horn's Publishing House is publishing, and we're talking about the attraction of the occult by society's youth, Mm -hmm. uh, who's really drawn into things like um, Harry Potter and -hmm. and Wicca and all this other kind of stuff like that. Mm Um it sounds like they had a very idyllic upbringing.
4: It's very different than the upbringing that I experienced. That's for sure.' very um grounded
3: and you didn't do a lot of animal husbandry
4: i didn't I didn't marry any
3: animals no uh, that's not what I was meaning you know no. well, no care of them and stuff. I didn't
4: take care of them either. I didn't do any marrying of animals didn't take care of any animals not
3: homeschooled?
4: was not homeschooled. didn't grow up in a Christian mm-hmm. household. Yeah. Uh, on and on and on.
3: And the Lord's given you your ministry. Which is? I, you're, we're looking at it right here. Oh,
4: well, it's true. It's true.
3: And so, the th- amazing thing about the Lord, He gives us all, puts us in different spots and backgrounds, and finds a place for all of us. Yes. Oh. And I appreciate the Boveroff girls and what they're doing, uh, being very bold in their faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to go to the next segment of our interview with Him, and then Tom and I will wrap it back up here in Future quick. We're wrapping it back up in just a few minutes here's a serious question i have for you <clears throat> to to really make this uh, timely it seems like a lot of young people uh, are obsessed with occult themes and anybody who keeps track of television or the news or anything has picked up on this and and particularly young ladies uh, are obsessed with pagan religions like wicca and uh, in, in things like that, even though many adults don't fully grasp all of it or understand it, they don't even understand a lot of the clothes that they wear at the mall or things like that, sort of show that they, they at least are pursuing an affiliation with that. Um, why is this such a popular pursuit for young people? Do you have any ideas?
5: Well, I think you did hit on a key point. A lot of adults are very unaware of this. It's uh, an obsession, and it is particular with young ladies, I think, because they're a little more susceptible to it. But it seems to be it's an it's an obsession with a death culture. They're I think they're looking at it as an escape from their life, you know. They're we live in hard times now for especially for teenagers. There's a lot of split home split families out there.
2: Right.
5: Economic times aren't doing so good and they see death as almost an escape. It's hmm. I mean it's when you listen to these kids talk about it. They talk about it as, it's a good thing, you know. Death is something to be praised if we can get out of here through hmm. death. All this death culture, and a lot of them like to classify themselves as emu or goth people, and it's the way they dress. They dress, you know, black and chains. They wear black and they wear chains all the time, and it's, I think, how symbolic of what they're trying to get themselves into. Ooh. It's very well, dark, they're wearing chains.
3: I didn't want to offend you all. You all don't dress goth, do you? No.
5: no. <laughs> okay. I have worn black a few times, but. <laughs> okay. Not that much.
3: Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I sense, like like what you're saying, it's sort of a despairing that they know their quality of life or standard of living is going to be less, or they, they assume it's going to be mm-hmm. less than their parents' generation. And that's a real break in American history where we always thought the next generation was going to have it better than the ones before. Yeah. And some, some may even look at their own parents' life and see how miserable their parents are and mm-hmm. selfish and think, if that's as good as it gets, I know it's going to be worse for me. But it is so tragic, and our, our movies and our television perpetuate that. And they over romanticize things like Romeo and Juliet, where there are suicide packs. And I mm-hmm. mean, it's even got to the point where in certain schools now, there are big suicide packs going on with a lot of kids in a, in a single classroom, right?
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just. That's, really sad.
3: that's just amazing, I think, that uh, um, things have gotten that bad that we're just not surprised to see that, that young people are going up on on, on you know, Facebook or whatever it is and going and taking their lives, and, and somehow we have, we have glorified this. And uh, to me, it's one of the signs that, that the Lord's return must be imminent because uh, a society doesn't sustain itself long when it has that kind of attitude. But I sure hope your book redeems a lot of young people and uh, shows them an alternative.
4: Yeah, you're going into an area that's very... Um... Overrun with occult themes and occult literature and books about vampires and mm-hmm. evil witches and stuff. So hopefully your your book will be like.
5: Yeah, that's what we were we were hoping it would kind of raise questions. You know, this yeah. is the way this wizard is or whatever. How come? Why is it like that? How come it's not like the way it is in the Harry Potter books? Mm-hmm. Why isn't Why doesn't everything turn out right in the end? Why is this all going wrong for him? And and we were really hoping it would get those kids to ask those questions, you know, why isn't it doing it that way? I thought that's the way it was supposed to, or this is the escape, not the chains that are going to tie you down. Huh. So that's really what we were hoping it would ultimately do too.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. those, those kinds of fantasies certainly make dealing with magic and dark forces sort of fun, even if mm-hmm. you're combating them. Uh, it doesn't really fully appreciate what those dark forces can do to somebody. Uh, yeah. partic- particularly emotionally What they can do in your life we, We've talked about a lot of characters In real history here on our show Who have dabbled in that kind of dark stuff And it's, it's so sad to see how it destroys them uh, Usually it chases away all their loved ones And they have wrecked marriages And family relationships And then they usually just die as broken people uh, Once mm-hmm. they've taken that, that path um, Why do you think uh, the, the, the Hope pagan side Of like like Wicca, for example. Um, you know, it's very much a, a, an earth goddess-type uh, religion. Um, wh- why do you think that has become so popular in particular?
5: Well, I do think it's kind of, it is uh, it is an escape. They think, oh, look, they must have all the answers. They're so sure of themselves. They have all their stuff in line. So they go there looking for the answers for everything, because everybody has a God-shaped hole in their heart, and they're looking for the answers or a filler to fill that in. And Wicca in a sense, offers power. And they think, oh, I could stack the deck in my favor. If I had power, I could change things. And when they get into it, they realize that actually, instead of giving themselves power, they're actually taking it away. They're getting more rules and more regulations and more requirements. But they look at it and say, those people have power over their lives. They they can control their destiny or where they're going. They know what they're doing, when in total reality, they don't. They don't know... Exactly what they're getting into till it's almost too late, but mm-hmm. I think really it is so attractive to them, especially and a lot of the mystery too. A lot of our culture is you know obsessed with hidden things, things they don't know about. Mm-hmm. That's what like, you know, fantasy over the Bigfoots and Loch Ness monster. People get into that because they like it because they don't know. They want to find out. They want to look for stuff. The cryptozoology. And they see that as they have something. They're hiding something from us, so they must have it, so we've got to go get it. That must be what we're looking for. It's the power and the mystery and the hidden stuff behind it, really. I think that's what makes it very attractive. Mm-hmm. They're going, that's what I'm missing. Mm-hmm.
3: Wow, th- those were very insightful comments you just had. Uh, I-, I think, I think uh, what you said is com- completely true, that uh, um, we're drawn by human nature to mystery and access to knowledge or power that we don't currently have and, okay. and where we think those sources may be. But at the same time, like you say, we like to maintain control.
6: Uh-huh. And
3: if you can gain, quote, powers or other things that can increase your control over your life and maybe over other people, that, that's very appealing to the carnal nature that we have. And, uh, and, and maybe it, it uh, addresses uh, the insecurities that we have uh, as people. Uh, it it's very different than the alternative, which is basically turning your life over and surrendering to God and mm-hmm. admitting that God has a better uh, plan for our lives than we would ourselves. And uh, that, that surrender is a very, very difficult thing to do. It, do you think a little bit of it is just rebellion against what they see as maybe hypocrisy in their parents and their religion or where where how their parents have practiced it has not been consistent enough that... They 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 reject that and just want to go a different direction.
5: Yeah, I would say a good part of it is. I, I know you'll hear stories of people who were involved in Wicca or the occult, and they jump into it as teenagers, then in their mid 20s, almost 30, they realize, oh, that was bad, and I was just trying to get back at my parents or whatever. They don't. They were diving into something they didn't know what was yet. So mm-hmm. I'd say rebellion is probably quite a bit of it. That's probably a reason why a lot of kids even experiment with drugs or alcohol. Or any premarital sex, that kind of stuff. They yeah. all—it's just kind of—they want
3: to get back at society and their parents. Hmm. Yeah, that, that whole idea of trying something new, new, new—that that you think is new to your generation. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, but but each each of our generations, we think we found something new nobody else has ever seen before that defines who we are. And I and I just think about what people are dealing with now—life or death things when. It wasn't all that long ago people thought the main rebellion of young people was to grow their hair long.
4: <coughs>
3: you know, they thought society was going to end because their hair was past their collar.
4: Now, and then we moved on to hammer pants. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I, you know, I just wish that was the least we had to deal with. But, uh, you know, our, our regular culture is starting to accommodate these things. You know, now you, uh, they have uh, Wiccan uh, priests in the military, yeah. as chaplains.
4: Yeah, they're protected, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah,
3: and Wiccans are getting, and I don't mean to pick just on the Wiccans, but they, they uh, are getting all sorts of official uh, government recognition, even sure. on local levels yeah. and things well, like this. Well,
4: Michael, Michael Aquino, we've talked about him. He's the NSA general who's also the the high priest of the Temple of Set. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, gosh, just right out there.
3: Yeah, and so we shouldn't be surprised that young people, uh, it, that gives them further reinforcement. And the thing is, pe- people like uh, you two are really a remnant. You're a minority and a remnant that God has called to speak out to the majority of people of your age. And it always seems like God always works with a small group, whether it's the handful that was with Gideon or, or whoever they go into battle, or David against Goliath. And uh, for some reason, uh, well, God says that's how he shows his glory, is doing that. So mm-hmm. I guess you know what your mission is. Your mission is to uh, go out there and, and stand for truth. And, and try to try to minister to the people of this generation. Um, in comparison to what what we've talked about as far as these um, these features of the occult and all of the the powers and the other things they promise and do whatever you want, express yourself. Uh, in comparison, the the what people perceive as the thou shalt nots of Christianity and the restricted living and the constraints of morality associated with Christian lifestyles and church-based communities, must seem very dull and suffocating to a lot of young people. They see that and they just focus on the things that Christians aren't allowed to do. Um, how is this stereotype, in your opinion, sort of a bum rap, as far as how exciting a Christian life can be, even for young people?
5: Well, young, a lot of young people see the Ten Commandments, but they all felt not as fences. They think they're getting fenced into this little pen, when really the Ten Commandments are... March. I mean, why? And people won't trust you anymore. Kill somebody and back in Bible days their relative would come kill you, but now you spend the rest of your life in jail most likely. Huh. Huh. It's pretty they're just I mean, besides rules, they're smart. I mean, just it's like wearing your seatbelt, you know. You shouldn't have to have laws against where not wearing your seatbelt. It's just smart. God put those rules there to protect us. He didn't put them there to restrict us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look at them going, oh, there's a boundary, and I want to break boundaries, so someone mm-hmm. don't fence me in. I don't <laughs> want to go out. You know, I want to be able to keep going. And But they see that as a restriction. restriction it's not. It's to protect you. Mm-hmm.
4: It's It's interesting that you guys, people from, it seems like people of younger generations typically have, uh, an air of rebellion, you know, and they see that they see things like the Ten Commandments and other things you know they want to rebel against it, um, whereas you guys certainly don't have any of that, which is uh kind of interesting and refreshing. Would you say that's a product of you know your upbringing or
5: oh very mm-hmm. much so I'd yeah. say so mhm a lot I think a lot of it had to do with their upbringing, but of course, becoming you know children of Jesus Christ has everything to do with it, but having your parents there to help bring you to the Lord and to back it up as every single step you go is they're living the truth just the same as you are so you look at it and you see, Oh, they're doing what's right and I now I see why, I understand. It makes mm-hmm. sense that it's through their life and through all of our family and the people at church. It's just a constant reminder of I see it's not just me alone fighting, you know. Mm-hmm. I have help.
3: Well you, you know, I I guess the way I would phrase the, the way I look at the, um, the guidance we have in the Bible as far as a Christian life and, and the restraining influence is actually it creates a sustainable culture. In other words, okay. it's a lifestyle, both as individuals and as a society, that can be sustainable long term. Uh, the Christian life is a life that's based upon mutual respect. It's, okay. a, it's based on treating others as you would be treated, uh, letting people retain their dignity. Uh, respecting uh, elders, people get old, you're you're not uh, measuring their value based upon uh, what they can do or accomplish. All these things are are a Christian background and heritage, whereas when you compare to, so so I I don't look at it as a restrictive part so much, although most people do, it's the fact that it is a sustainable culture that's healthy, and you Mm -hmm. can maintain emotional health, physical health, all the above. Whereas when you look in the occult world, you look in and other pagan influences, they're largely not very sustainable. And Uh if you see real people, not the idealized people you see on the screen, but you see people who've really messed with this kind of stuff, um, they're usually the kind of people that are strung out in some hotel room. They've prematurely aged. Um, They've, like I mentioned earlier, ruined their relationships with other people. And it's definitely not the picture that Hollywood gives of uh, the results of what that lifestyle is. is it very,
4: very, looks like it's very similar to what happens when you eat too much White Castle. Oh, no, don't come <laughs> on my White Castle <laughs> <either. clears throat>
3: Sorry, that's a running joke here on Future Quick. Uh, but but I think that's the thing that uh, young people, if they could only see, is just like they used to have this TV show called Scared Straight, where they would bring in guy- hardened criminals in from prison. They would go see young people. that were getting in trouble with the law, mm-hmm. and they'd sort of scare them, you know, not only about how bad prison was, but just how rough they were and it would scare them. If people could see where this this uh, lifestyle will lead and how it doesn't lead to what they're promised in the movies. Uh-huh. It doesn't lead to, to glamour. It doesn't lead to uh, getting uh, the best-looking boyfriend or girlfriend and being able to control your rivals at school or whatever like that. It, uh-huh. it leads to an extremely lonely life. And, uh, you know, the other thing I've noticed about uh, that Jural's lifestyle from the picture I get from it is that the fact that, uh, you know, you're based out of home and you've got a piece of land there where you're very much tied to the earth, Uh, Mm -hmm. taking care of animals like you do, doing these other kind of things. These are family activities. You're able to see your parents during the day solve problems, uh, deal with things, deal with people. You're able to see how Christ works in their life and how it's successful. And, and that's actually attractive. And that's yeah. something that you would like to, you know, you'd like to emulate the kind of lifestyle that you see, but you do things together. And then your greater community and your church reinforces that.
5: Mm hmm. Very much.
3: And mm-hmm. it's really sad that that is a, today, a very rare environment for young people to grow up in. Yeah. Mm hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. I think of a lot of the you know, the rules and stuff that people. Visualize them as we have ducks. We got them a couple years ago, just as lawn ornaments. We thought they'd be fun, you know, just waddle around. But Mm -hmm. as a bonus, they ate the fire ants out at our barn, so that was good. We got rid of them
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mm
5: -hmm. and got something fun to look at. So, but we also noticed pretty early, since it was the first time we'd ever had ducks, that you had to pen them up at night because Mm -hmm. during, especially at dusk and dawn, and then in the night hours, foxes or coyotes, or especially the neighbor's dog, would come over and get free lunch.
2: Yeah.
5: So so we have to pen them up at night. And sometimes they go in without argument. Sometimes you have to chase them in there. But this fall, we had a small duck that found a hole in a pen, and I could not find the hole for the life of me. I looked all over for it. But he get out during the middle of the night, and you find him there the next morning. Well, after a couple of weeks of this, I didn't find him anymore. He'd gotten out, and something got him. And I kind of visualize that as God's protection. You know, he pushes us into this, Enclosure these ten Commandments to keep us there to keep us safe, to protect us, and sometimes our very lives even depend on it. Mm-hmm. And when we run out of there, we are now open to all the attacks of Satan and the world, and we could have just forfeited our life just like that little duck had no idea, although right. he didn't have an idea of what waited for him on the outside of the fence, whereas we have some kind of insight on that, but it's, it's just I thought it was a really cool picture of how God puts his protection over us. And yet somehow we have the choice whether we're going to stay there or run away. Mm-hmm. But if we stay there, you're going to be safe there. Right. And that's something to
3: count on. That's ex- that's exactly right. There there there's a safe environment we can operate in and then then when we're exposed and you know mm-hmm. I when I when I hear about ducks like that, you know, if they if they get injured like that, you know, that, that they're going to have to put the uh doctor's charges on their bill, I guess.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard that on the world wide web
5: all <laughs> yeah. uh, yep.
3: but you see what you, you know what the picture you're painting there is real life you mm-hmm. you're actually watching real life, you're interacting in it real time, you're learning life lessons from those things, which is not the kind of thing you learn sitting on the sofa playing a video game.
5: no
0: now,
3: I'm not saying there's not a time for video games and things like that, but it has become an obsession of our culture, and it's not just young people. There's a lot oh, of grown yeah. adults who spend all their time doing it. But but you're sitting there and watching nature. You're watching what God created. You're watching the interaction there. Um, sometimes there are hard lessons you you see in nature about things. But nevertheless, you, you grow and mature from that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know that's a little bit of an aside to, from the subject matter of your book. But I do think there's a connection between... Uh, wholesome living is not uh, wimpy living, it's not boring, mm-hmm. it's fulfilling yeah. and mm-hmm. um, it, it makes people fully what they can be. Uh, when you see people getting into drugs, you see people getting into these other things, it literally withers away their body, uh, mm-hmm. their body becomes a shell and it amazes me that if you see these rock stars on TV, That a lot of them are addicted heavily to heroin, you just see them become skeletons. You know, people like this, Amy Winehouse, I believe, and others, and people still want to emulate them. Yeah, you know, even though it looks like they've been stuck in a in a crack house or you know, meth lab or something. I don't know who you're talking about. But that's ben. the I'm not meaning to look at you on purpose no. there, but uh,
4: <laughs> he's in the studio. He keeps looking at me like I know who these people are.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's a lot younger than I am. He's a lot more hip. He's a musician too. Yeah, I was. I'm
4: retired now, but I don't watch TV anymore. I got rid of my TV, so. I I, I've been, I haven't watched TV in about a year, I guess. Like, sat down in front of it regularly, so I'm, I've, I've completely lost touch to what's current. So when he, he mentions A.B. Winehouse, I'm like, oh, who's that?
3: Is that a new drink? Yeah, he usually doesn't accuse me of being too hip. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom, the healthy one, Bionic. Bionic, yes. The, um, well, we got into uh, some stuff that sort of... Uh, I don't know, disheartening about young people and about mm-hmm. their traction well, to the dark I, side right now. I think
4: if you start stop and take a take a, a sort of short tally of the the things that are popular these days in in uh, teenage and young adult culture, it gets starts to get pretty weird pretty quickly.
3: Uh, Is yeah. that including or excluding the Future Quake show? I would say excluding.
4: Oh, okay. I mean, we're weird
3: in a good we're, way. Yeah,
4: we're weird in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like. Wow, that's weird. I mm-hmm. never would have expected somebody to bring me a cake.
3: There's no
0: that's human kind of sacrifices required for Future Quake.
4: Unless there's something, some strange way you boot up the computer before
3: I get here. Except maybe your own sanity. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. I mean, the, the whole yeah. like you said, they call it the death culture, and that's really a good way to sure. describe it. Well, it's, you know, you've got... stylistic.
4: Yeah, you know, you've got, like, Harry Potter. You've got that new movie out called Twilight or something about mm-hmm. the vampires. You've got... Heroes, which is this totally weird sitcom where they yeah, like they, they evolved, super, yeah, like evolved superheroes are like yeah. a higher plane and yeah, there's good ones and evil ones and yeah.
3: well, you know, this whole thing about Wicca is really much more prevalent in young people than what we let on in the church.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: I don't think we're doing enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there aren't some youth pastors out there really addressing it, but there's not enough.
4: i you know, I gotta be honest. I don't. I'm just. I've never been good with kids, so. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord blesses me with kids. Ever then, I'm gonna have a very steep learning curve. But mm-hmm. it's just not something I've been. Well, doing. I'm
3: afraid a generation now. They're gonna have Wicca quake on here. Wicca quake. You know, and we're yeah. gonna be a minority.
4: Yeah, like openly ridiculing us and.
3: Yeah, of course money. we're a minority opinion even amongst Christians. But yeah, yeah, uh, two words
4: right <laughs> out of my mouth. I was like, wait a minute, it's not like. But, We're but, the voice, but, but seriously,
3: know. it's going to be a different world a generation from now. Yeah. And uh, you never know. They might take Christian radio stations and with the uh, Equal Time Amendment.
4: Well, gosh, that fairness that doctrine. On. That's fairness on, doctrine, yeah. yeah. The fairness doctrine is coming on. I mean, that's really scary. That's the ultimate overreach of, uh, of a government into everything. Uh-huh. You know, it's
3: crazy. Right. So uh, with those cheery thoughts, we need to call it a day, but we need to bring Merv in. Uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here on FutureQuake?
6: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Future at futurequake.com. That's d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
3: Okay, it's the end of Tuesday.
0: All right, let's get out of here.
3: Okay, until tomorrow, we hope your future is very bright. Have a great day.
0: Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
3: Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am the the under-the-weather Dr. Future. And I
4: am the the over-the-clouds Tom Bionic.
3: Yes, you are. You're just walking on sunshine.
4: I'm walking on sunshine.
3: Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I sound just like Katrina. <laughs> that was funny. I hope you found that inspirational. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're in getting ready to start our third installment of our interview with Melissa and Emily Bovaroff, mm-hmm. authors of Seven Candles, The Reclaiming of Haven,
2: mm-hmm. talking
3: about the present attraction of the occult by society's youth. And... Uh, Yesterday, we talked uh, a little bit about how young people perceive Christianity and do mm-hmm. they perceive it as sort of a uh, uh, claustrophobic suffocating uh, life you know of all the things you can't do, whereas these pagan religions and other things you sort of can let it all hang out yeah uh, to use a groovy seventies term word uh do you think we we discussed that? in a proper framework, effort, you know, I, I mentioned in terms of what really is a sustainable lifestyle over the long haul or not.
4: You know, and uh, you know, I can see their point, but for me, it's always been about, I think the, uh, the idea of free will has been stressed. You know, one of the points that we've made both with Robert Hyde and with William Grigg is that you have to, uh, you know, you have to give the person free will, otherwise they rebel. And I just, I don't know. I I didn't get that sense from the from the earlier well, stuff, I th- I think maybe that's just me, and I'm like, well, I, I, I too think much I sort of I need to be under somebody's thumb or something.
3: <laughs> I sort of led that whole discussion about with the whole thing about the Thou shalt nots and the commandments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I, so I know, have to take and, responsibility for that. But I think the point I was making is people look at Christianity as just being that. Yes. When in uh, fact, it's, even it's, some of the guidance is actually liberating in and of itself.
4: Yeah. Well, and and to be honest, the Ten Commandments, I kind of have a bone to pick with that, too, because typically... or With the guy who wrote them? No. Okay. Just with the way that they're presented these days. um, You know, people say that, you know, like I was having a conversation with somebody who said, you know, you got to live the Christian life, you're going to get into heaven. Like, well, mm-hmm. uh, what about that guy named Jesus? Oh, well, yeah, that too, but... and. I, I consistently, especially here in the South, feel like I'm having that stress to me.
3: What the Ten Commandments? Yeah, like the Ten Commandments and the other. Why do you hang out with like the Golden Cap Society? The rest of the place? No, workplace?
4: like just people at my work who identify as Christians. It's not. And they know...
3: keep throwing the Ten Commandments at you.
4: Yeah, as 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 the
3: standard for righteousness. You don't even have them hanging over your your cubicle, I bet, do you?
4: No. They did bring the golden calf in one time, but I said I'm not not hungry.
2: You
3: know what I suggest you do? One of my favorite passages in the Book of Acts, when they asked about what what the Council of Jerusalem to tell the Gentiles? Had that discussion. They said yeah. just don't just don't eat meat sacrificed to animals, don't you know, eat blood, mm. and uh, don't uh, do fornication. Yeah, that's well, a that's a greatly reduced list for Gentiles.
4: Yeah, uh, no kidding, no kidding. Well, and that's and that's one of the things that uh, I would have liked to have thrown out there. But you know, you got a role. They had they had their role. They had their thing going on, and they well, were motor Well, and again, and, uh, I
3: sort of framed the question for them. So yeah, you probably have to blame yeah. me if anybody.
4: Well, and I think too the way that the Ten Commandments are presented, and this, this I may have this all backwards, and feel free to shoot me down. Okay, I'm, you, I'm ready. Yeah, but but it's like you drive by this billboard and they have the Ten Commandments on there. Uh-huh. I don't recall any place in the Bible where they're done explicitly like that it seems if i recall correctly, you mean that
3: you don't read billboards in the bible do you mean
4: well no i mean that i mean that you know it says worship the lord you know your god and put him first and all that stuff mm-hmm. but it's it's not it's not bullet pointed like that it's it's part of a longer uh it's a little bit more in depth than that
3: you mean the actual passage in exodus yes okay.
4: yeah uh deuteronomy and Levit- leviticus i thought yeah 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 um and I don't know. I just feel I feel weird that it's been it's been extrapolated out of out of the various Old Testament texts into this thing that's now like a playbook or something.
3: Boy, I never knew this was a like a little touchstone with you, sort of a third rail.
4: Well, I wouldn't quite call it a third rail. Maybe a second and a half rail. <laughs> okay,
3: lightly energized.
4: Yeah, yeah it's like. There's like 110 through it or something.
3: Well, we learn something new every day. Yeah. Even Doctor Future. Well, one thing we need to learn is more from Melissa and Emily Bovaroff, so we need to go. Yeah. Uh, sorry for that longer than normal uh, prelude.
4: That's
2: okay. To our
3: you, learned, you
4: learned about uh, Tom. One of Tom's many I, I, second and a half rails.
3: Picadillos. Yeah. Well, uh, I can walk away having learned something, and oh, let's yeah. learn some more with the Bovaroffs, authors of Seven Candles, and we'll be right back on Future Quick. Your book gets into the things about the the spiritual side, fantasy side, and spiritual warfare. Do you think the church, uh, actually here in real life, spends enough time understanding and conducting spiritual warfare? And if not, what do you think they should do?
5: Well, I find it kind of, I think, a yes and a no. I think some churches have the tendency to way overdo it, and some churches have a tendency to back way off subject too far. There's a part in uh, Lord Paul Letters, which is a really good book, I'd recommend it to anybody, where Lord Fahlgren is a demon talking to another demon, and he is telling him that we need to get the people of the world to believe that we're either everywhere or nowhere. If we get them believing we're everywhere, you'll get them rebuking the demon of diarrhea or the demon of headache or whatever, and they'll be totally blind to their real presence. They'll just be assuming they're everywhere. Jumping mm-hmm. on every shadow. Yeah, jumping on every shadow. Or... If you think they're nowhere, then, you know, a title that was just back in Bible times, then you're totally immune to their working at the same time. So I think I would like to think for the most part that churches are, and pastors are doing a good job educating their people. But a lot of people have a tendency to get this feeling of they're either everywhere or nowhere. And I think most people, when they hear a sermon preached on demons, they think there's no such thing as ghosts. You know, we're taught that from a young, very young age. There's no such thing as ghosts, and we as people tend to categorize things. We sort of put everything into that category, and I have a feeling demons fall into that category. Where mm. you will be talking with somebody, and you mention spiritual warfare, and you get this kind of rolled eyeballs look at you, like you believe in that stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. It's that kind of thing, and it's like I have I have a feeling that I think it's more of the people, the the people trying to who don't respond to it the way they should, and I don't know if that would necessarily be the church's fault. But I think it's a lot of our society. We're always, you know, you see that on TV all the time. You know, there's no such thing as ghosts. You just tend to think that doesn't happen. It's not here, it's not real, and it's not me. And I think I think maybe better pastoring might fix some of that, but and I think I think a lot of it would be if just more people would get into their Bible and read more about it. find mm-hmm. so out what really happened. A really, really awesome word search for anybody to do. It's to get their concordance out and look up the words devils, demons, evil spirits, and Satan and just read about them. And it gives you incredible insight, and I learned so much just by doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that would do a lot of people real good if they just spend some time by themselves in their room looking up this stuff and finding out the facts, not what they've been told, and just hmm. getting into it themselves.
3: be very different than what they hear all the folk tales that we hear.
5: Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, still most people picture uh, Moses and the Exodus from what they saw in the movie on TV. And mm-hmm. it's no—it's yeah. no, even more so with the, with the evil occult world. I think the statements you made earlier about, people usually go where they totally ignore it, or they get, you know, obsessed with it. Even as a church body, is very mm-hmm. insightful, because I have seen that case. It's very, very hard to strike a balance, uh, mm-hmm. where you acknowledge it's there, yet you don't get to the point where there's a, there's a, you know, you stub your toe when you assume a demon did that to you.
2: Yeah, and yeah. a lot
3: of people get get that far, and they they almost get obsessed more on the demon than on Jesus, and, mm-hmm. and on the the positive part behind it. Uh, in, in your book, can, can you share us a, light, a little bit more about um, the nature of the conflict in your book and some of the spiritual overtones of it?
5: Well, we spent an awful lot of time trying to figure out how to visualize evil because in a book you have to be able to see everything,
2: mm-hmm.
5: and that that was several long, long nights of discussion just to figure out how can we picture this, you know? When you think of evil, what do you think of? And so we, that that took forever, and we might even have some problems there, but we came up with ways to visualize evil. Those are the creatures in there that are unhuman. They're a visualized picture of what we think evil is. So this is taking things that you can't see and putting them into a realm that you can see. Mm-hmm. It's a conflict between the Ram and his, He's our picture of Satan and his helpers going in against our lark with our picture of God and his followers. So it's kind of trying to take the unseen world and put it into a visual world, which is kind of hard. You always know, run into problems there. But that's basically our nature is trying to show the struggle we're having today where evil is not outright. And right here, it's creeping in. It's sneaking in. I like play these little creatures called wall yeah, slowly. It doesn't, you know, boom, outright Pearl Harbor attack. It comes after you slowly and creeps in and comes after your weakness, not your strong points. And that's, I think that's basically what we're trying to illustrate with our conflict between the two of them, is trying to make it the unseen visual and in a place where you can try to understand it.
3: Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, what you talk about taking the unseen and trying to make it seen, so you you have something to portray in your book, is the kind of thing that you don't ever think of until you start writing your own book.
5: Mm-hmm. Until
3: you start doing something, you don't realize the challenge. And I bet you it makes you a lot more sympathetic of other authors.
5: Oh yeah, you know, like
3: What do you do with this character? Are they at a dead end? Um, yeah. I know when I first uh, started doing a little reading about screenplays and, and realized what a rigid structure it is and how they all sort of on a certain page of the script have this certain twist in the story or you know, a big surprise or whatever. And when I started thinking about that, I, I would anticipate what would happen in movies when I'd watch them because mm-hmm. I knew what the what the screenplay writer had to do and how he had to handle certain characters and things to make, that's, you know, the that's audience.
4: That's interesting. That explains a lot of your behavior in, in movie theaters.
3: <laughs> you have not seen me in a lot of movies. Yeah,
4: yeah, we went and saw it happening. Uh,
3: You've seen me in one.
4: Okay, well, but there was still like, you know.
3: Yeah, then there's just general fidgetiness. Yeah. You know, it's inherent.
4: yes. Well, I got, I got. Don't worry, I got enough for both. Okay. Of us well, uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I understand where you're where you're coming. Are there are there some surprises though that you put in? I, you don't have to reveal what they are in here, but uh, do you, do you try to work in some things that people don't see coming in the book?
5: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. We'll, if when you get the second book and you read that after the first one, you'll see some of them. But the third book is really what tells all. But mm-hmm.
3: okay. All uh, right. Hey, uh, by the way, uh, I know I'm going back and forth with some issues today and things in the book, but I, I uh, wondered, have, have you found a lot of people dressing up like the characters in the book yet when you're <laughs> at the book signings? No.
5: no. We, we have take a friend who took uh, the map in the front of our book and uh, airbrushed it and put texture on it, so we thought that was
3: no. kind of cool. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. That's something else Tom and I are available for if you would like us to just dress up yeah. at some of your <laughs> signing events or something. We could be sort of like your trekkies
4: all right yeah, there you go
3: you you need some groupies because then you know people people are like lemmings they will emulate what other people do yeah
4: and yeah it, we're, we're like a couple of plants you know we'll 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 do our thing and next thing you know it's like bigger than harry potter
3: yeah have got <laughs> Disease on their forehead and everything two, two uh, hip guys like us they all yeah. want to emulate what we're doing so i'm hoping that's in the in the forecast and you you start getting people at the conventions, you know, dressing up like your, uh-huh. uh, your characters there. Uh, back on a serious note here, uh, we've we talked about some of the influences in our society, um, and we've talked about movies and television show and video games and things like this. And there's just such evil and depravity uh, when you when you think of movies like the uh, was it the Hostel movies that came mm-hmm. out and Saw and things like oh. that. It goes from just pure um, horror, you know, it even goes from just suspense to horror to gore to something <laughs> beho- beyond that. It's like pure sadistic, I don't know what you call it, um, abhorrence. Bad. And, but now that's what has been a, attractive to young people is to go into something that's just purely s- sadistic in nature. Um, do you think that there are spiritual forces that are particularly behind the introduction of these kind of things strategically? And if you do, what what do you think their goals are? What are they trying to accomplish with our youth and society?
5: Well, I kind of think, again, a yes and a no. I think the heart is deceitfully wicked and above all else who can know it. But, I mean, we can be bad enough by ourselves, but I do think with a lot of these new movies, though, that there is particularly wicked forces working behind this. I remember we were walking through a movie gallery rental store, and my mom was walking to it. We were looking for a cartoon for the kids, and she goes, this is just disgusting, you know, mm-hmm. looking at all the covers in there. Yeah. And I said, I know, Mom, you got to train yourself to look at just the title. Don't look at the picture. I said, it's it's terrible. It's all over the place, and it's, you know, penetrating through everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, i definitely say they are work behind this, and what I think they're trying to do is they're trying to widen our comfort zone. Mhm. Hmm. You get the, you know, people when people are comfortable with things, they don't want to go outside of their little circle of comfort. But if a demon or some evil force can take them and just push them and tow them right up to the line. So they're right a next, little bit more each time. Just, just right up next to the edge. And they're not out of their comfort zone yet. But as they stay in there, they become comfortable with the edge of the comfort zone. And the comfort zone gets bigger. And then they push them out a little farther right up to the edge again. And then as they stand there, they get comfortable there. And the comfort zone keeps growing and growing and growing. So they're getting more and more comfortable with this stuff. And I think a lot of these evil forces, ultimately, what they're trying to do is they're trying to widen their comfort zones to the point where they have freedom to work and do what they want to. But they can't more or less just outright force people to do. They have to stretch their comfort zones to the point where they are free and able to work around and through things a lot more obvious
3: and a lot more blatantly than a lot of us would realize, I think. Hmm. Well, you, you know, um, the, the, the examples of the, the particular ones I mentioned really to me send a message that life is meaningless,
2: mm-hmm. that the
3: value of life is, is meaningless, that yep. uh, you could take a life with absolutely no regard, and it doesn't matter whether you do or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you can inflict great pain on other people, and it doesn't matter. And to me, that's about the last stage that an individual or society gets to, before mm-hmm. it, it's all over. Uh, that's that's when they basically mm-hmm. don't have a desire to be self-sustaining anymore. That's when they mm-hmm. when they get to that stage. It's like uh, a
4: level below complacency, almost.
3: It's mm-hmm. a it's okay. a it, it's a, an, an approach towards self-destruction. That's that's mm-hmm. really a, just a depravity. You know, I could think of like the last days of Rome, and things like that, where where they in their in their zeal to find something new. Uh, constantly searching for some kind of new meaning, they finally come to the conclusion that nothing is meaningful, and, mm-hmm. and that's what their actions begin mm-hmm. to reflect like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that there is, um, because of this proliferation right now, that, that this possibly is an indication of uh, maybe we're coming into the last days, or that they're no, they they're wrapping things up for the last generation or two? I
5: think so. You can see all over now that that Satan is now have got many comfort zone so stretched that he can just work freely and he, he's trying to wrap things up i think he is preparing things for the end times i mean he read the bible too he knows christ is coming back and he knows that there's going to be a rapture before time and he's looking for ways to explain that away if he can get people under his influence to as soon as everyone's done panicking we're all gone to the point that it's okay that was supposed to happen i did it you know he's mm-hmm. looking for ways to explain that so then when he wants to set up his reign, he'll have everybody pulling for him. I'd say it's, it's definitely a move towards the end time. He's trying to get things ready because he doesn't know when Christ is coming back either. So he needs to try to get ready mm-hmm. for case that's tomorrow. So he is definitely preparing things right now.
3: Mm. Right. And the and the question I, that I have is is how much worse can it get? You, yeah. you, you just wonder what, what is there left to uh, the shock or, or deprave people with. -hmm. You know, short of taking this all and throwing us in the arena to the lions, um, I I don't know how much they can lower the bar of the uh, the depravity of society. They always find. Seems like they always (laughs) find some new new things to do. But uh,
4: just wait, man, just wait. Well, how do you
3: suggest people to to think positively for a minute? How do you suggest people use your book to start a discussion about the realities of the occult, and I mean the real realities, with young people? Can your book be a tool for them to discuss these things?
5: Well, I hope so. (laughs) I it to use as a conversation-turner or starter to talk about the wizards and how they act in our book, different from, like, Harry Potter and the way things just are in our book compared to the way things are portrayed in movies and other books and stuff like that. It's just kind of a, it's this way in this book and that way in the other book. Why do you think they're different? Or what's important about how they're different which which one do you think is right? You know it's just kind of a so it's it's a comparison thing you can they can show us show somebody our book and then another book or ask questions about it and try to get answers. It's just you know there's really there's nothing else to compare Harry Potter to in nowadays
2: uh-huh. it's mm-hmm.
5: this is the way wizards are. there's no like conflicting argument anywhere, mm-hmm. and we're hoping this that's what this will be, yeah it'll be something that it portrays it differently, and it's, okay, why? And then they need to find out. Well,
3: can you, can you give us an example? You mentioned wizards. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the wizards in your story are different than what you find in Harry Potter and things.
5: Well, the wizards in our stories are, for one thing, they have, definitely have limits compared to the ones in Harry Potter. They have limits, too, but they're different. Mm-hmm. And the wizards in our books, we took based off of um, stories of wizards we found in the Bible. Their their um, activities are limited to what their demon empowerment can empower them to. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't read minds, they can't tell the future, etc. But and when they kind of run across the follower of Jesus Christ, like in Acts, Paul rebuked the man who, had, who was a wizard, and he went walk walked out of the room blind. Right. Because we have power over them because they are demon empowered, and these wizards in our book are the same way. Of course, it's a different picture though. Mm-hmm. But they, they only have power until Christ would stop them. And he can protect his believers completely from them. They have no power over them. but so Unless they let them. Yeah, unless they would let them. You know, you'd surrender to that. Then I think Christians can be very vulnerable if they back their guard off and let these things happen. And they, they don't need to. They can rebuke them. And they will listen because they are demon-empowered. They're not well, higher self-empowered or whatever. I don't know how exactly all the wizard stuff works. But so basically our wizards are more are different because we took them off of the real experiences we found in the Bible. You know, where did these guys have their limits? When did they have to stop? And what could they do? What were they, I mean, what could they really do? I mean, these guys did do some stuff. You know, what kind of powers did they have? What kind of powers did they not have? And so we, that's, we tried to, our best, portrayal we could
3: off of the few mm-hmm. stories in the Bible about wizards so. so so it could be a springboard then for a young person to go to the Bible to learn mm-hmm. more about it, yeah, uh you know it's interesting when when you do that portrayal, like you just explained, um I wouldn't actually want to be associated with a more powerful member, you know, people like to be with winners, mm-hmm. and, and if somebody can come along and rebuke a wizard, I'd rather be with the one you know, as the power to rebuke wizard rather than the wizard.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: <clears throat> well, it's not really, the thing about it is, though, it has, I think it has more to do with power than other thing. any mm-hmm. other thing. You know, it's like the wizard, being with the wizard makes you powerful in, mm-hmm. in their minds and their eyes, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, having to surrender yourself is, you know, well, that's not cool.
3: Yeah, but it shows yeah. that the people who are followers of God, um, Rather than being wimps have access to power when it's used for his purposes,
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
3: well you know sure and 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 it's there, and like you say, when you put limits to it, these other characters you see you you don't see those kind of limits, you don't see the negative impact of what it is with that kind of power and things like that,
6: mm-hmm. and uh,
3: if that creates a dialogue, then that's really great. Have you heard any reports of uh, people who who've used your book that way to sort of talk about some of these issues with? Groups of young people?
5: I'm not really aware of too many of them. We did um, have a book finding at a church where we had the opportunity to Mm -hmm. go in and talk to the youth group and the adult class, and that spurred some good questions from the kids. But I don't know if the youth pastor actually used it or not. He may have. He got a book, so we'll see. Well, you
3: know, that would be a neat little side project for you is to come up with a little workbook that goes through your book and has uh, some Bible passages in a little workbook that talk about this, mm-hmm. and it could mm-hmm. be a structured thing. And if you send a book out to pastors or some churches with the workbook, they mm-hmm. can make that a project for uh, for their youth, for example. Mm-hmm.
5: That's mm-hmm. something we have talked about. We haven't started on it yet, but we've definitely talked about it. Yeah. Once. Mm-hmm. Well, We're you know, talking.
3: you all are people of action, not talk, so you better get on it.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> you don't want to ruin your reputation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're back at the Future Quick Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And, uh, we don't have much long time since we had a very long, lengthy discourse at the beginning. Uh, yep. Probably shouldn't bring up the Ten Commandments now or we'll never get uh, off the air.
4: I could, you know, we ought to do an 84 minute show just on me and the Ten Commandments.
3: Yeah. We'll, we'll call it Tom and the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, one of the things that the, uh, the young ladies mentioned in, in the segment that I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. when I asked them about what were the evil forces up to, what was their purpose of things. And they said they, uh, they thought they were, Widening the comfort zone of people.
4: Yeah, I got that too. It was very, um, it was a very intelligent commentary. I thought. That was
3: subtly trying to expand what we mm-hmm. first tolerate, and then second, just gradually accept. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. It's and, a very you know, um, the
3: kind of things we 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 get indignant about and walk away from slowly become things that we sort of close our eyes to or wince, and then suddenly we sort of raise our eyebrows. Well, and then we start snickering about.
0: Hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I would say that's about right. Mm-hmm. I myself, I've, I'm kind of going the other way. The pendulum is definitely swinging back the other way. I kind of get angry about stuff that other people like roll their eyes about uh-huh. on both sides of the, you know, Christian
3: and non-Christian fence. Yeah, it's because you're getting old. You're just getting me old I'm getting and crotchety. Your waist.
4: <laughs> Somebody bring me my pudding. Where are my glasses?
3: Speaking of crotchety, we got to bring Merv in. Merv, would you come tell our listeners about how they can get hold of us at Future Quake?
6: Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to call it a day. Any last words?
0: I'm getting old. Let's go. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm gonna
3: take the old man out of here. Until tomorrow, we hope your future's very bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye bye. Join us next time. As we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
3: Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And we have our last installment of our interview of Melissa and Emily Boverhoff. Mm Mm-hmm authors of Seven Candles, The mm-hmm. Reclaiming of Haven, yes. and we're going to talk about the present attraction to the occult by society's youth, which is what we've been talking about this week. Indeed, indeed. Any uh, quick uh, perceptions well, on where well, we've been so far?
4: One of the things that we brought up, uh, um, you know, in a in sort of a holistic level, um, I'm impressed that girls so young could write a book dealing with sort of serious subjects and get out there and sort of combat... Uh, the forces of darkness and influence society in a positive manner that's something you see very rarely people twice mm-hmm. their age doing even at all
3: amen and and actually not just do a book for the G whiz factor of hey I can write a book which is pretty impressive enough mm-hmm. but actually saying we want to accomplish something yeah for the kingdom yeah I think it's wouldn't it be nice to see some adults do that
4: yeah one or two I could think of I wish really wish would do that
3: well, go on and just list them here on the show.
4: Well, you've got this guy named Tom Bionic. <laughs> well, <okay. and
3: laughs> You can mention me, I know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, they shame a lot of us. Um, <clears throat> well, we're let's go on to the interview, and we will save us a little bit more time yeah. to uh, do a little wrap-up sure. on the topic. So We'll with, be wrapping. So, with no further ado. Here's uh, Melissa and Emily Boverhoff, uh, and we're going to finish our interview talking about the present attraction to the occult by society's youth. And we'll be right back to discuss it here on Future Quake. What else can uh, parents or friends or churches or teachers do to help people resist this attraction to the empty promises of pursuing the occult?
5: Well, I think a big thing they could do would be to literally tell these kids the truth about it. You hear, I mean, they'll go to Harry Potter and they'll see that and that's all they hear about it. That's all they know about it is the movies or the books or the websites or their video games, that's all they hear about wizards, and that's all they hear about witches. Up until they were old enough to understand that, they probably just had a vague you know, image of it, but people really don't know what they really are. I know people are shocked to find out that there are wizards in the Bible and that there are witches in the Bible. It's like, you're kidding. It's like, no, they're real. <laughs> they're really out there. And people, just they don't seem to know they exist. They think their total like comprehension of them it's all from the TV or from the books or movies or something they've watched or heard. They've never they've actually never known that real truth, what it really gets down to. I think it'd be great if teachers and um, parents would get some books of biographies or autobiographies of people who have escaped from the occult and tell them to so they get to know their story of what they really happened. What really happened. People just don't they seem to be out of touch with reality. They just get this picture. And everything has to fit inside that picture of what it looks like, and they don't think of the possibility of it being something totally different. Mm-hmm. And I think that would help a lot of young kids today, just simply tell them the truth and tell them that there's a threat and that it's real and it's here. I think that would really help a lot of kids, I think.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't don't believe all the advertising about what a great, glamorous life it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I tell you, if you ever wanted people to be scared straight, if they ever talked to a... A gentleman we know of by the name of William Schnoblin. He was a guy who was deep into Satanism and Wicca and the occult and everything.
4: He's got kind of, like, as far as words go, he's got more weirdness per word than, like, any any of our other guests.
3: But he's he's a brother in the Lord that does deliverance ministry now. But uh, the things he says are more chilling and scary. And I tell you, rather rather than glamorizing it, he just shows the destructive, Mm -hmm. dark nature of what it is. And mm-hmm. and he he took it as far as you, one could take it, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the Lord saw fit to deliver him out of it. Uh, but it was, uh, when, when you allow yourself and turn over to the dark side, they mm-hmm. don't release you so easy. No. When you say you've had enough and you're, you're tired of the pain and you're starting to get scared of it, it's getting to be too much for you, they just don't let go of their grip real easy no and uh, don't don't give you the freedom to walk away you 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 don't have the freedom like you do when you follow Christ when you're with Christ there are times when for your own choice you may distance yourself from God but he's patient with you and you know uh just uh, com- uh he invites you to come back gently uh and mm-hmm. to come back and spend time with him whereas that's not the way people on the dark side do they they're they're harsh and cruel yeah. in how Task they deal with, how they deal with their followers. Whereas you know Jesus says his, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's another thing you just don't really see emphasized with those in the occult is the incredible burdens uh, that they put on people's back. Um, that uh, when, once they find out it's many times too late. Uh, yeah, do yeah. That. it's
4: incredibly unglamorous if they uh, would show it how it really would be, right. and that wouldn't be mm-hmm. useful to the enemy.
3: Well, uh, what do you think is going to happen in society in the near future in terms of young people and their continued attraction to magic and the occult? What do you think the the next developments we're going to see?
5: <laughs> well, at any time, it could be the return of Christ. <laughs> but and then that'd be the I end kind of it,
3: right? there.
0: Yeah. yeah,
5: exactly, right there. That'd be finally. Yeah. But I get the impression that you're going to have, you know, the, our future is in the hands of our children, that you're going to have these kids who are so fooled by this and absorbed by it that when they when they finally come to power and they become president, they're going to be so relaxed and at ease with it that Satan is just going to be able to run rapid, do whatever he wants. He'll have hmm. so much freedom and power that he'll have so many human servants that the judges will listen to him when the Christians come on trial. They'll go to jail regardless, you know. it'll just He'll just have total domination over that, the whole thing, because he'll have so many people who are underneath his influence. But, of course, that definitely means that Christ is coming back. It's not then, just before. So I would be all ready for that. But mm-hmm. I, think that's, I think that's what's coming very soon is Christ's return, and this is just all set up for it. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you know, it almost has to be, like I say, at the pace that we're going. Uh, mm-hmm. And if the Lord tarries for a little while, uh, I'm so afraid that, you know, aside from people like yourselves, uh, we're going to have an entire generation uh that at least a large portion is totally detached from our relationship with God and are going to be increasingly desperate and if they if they have hard economic times if they have other things that pose great difficulty or upheaval in the world, um, things could get very very violent yeah. uh when you're when you're around people that love God in hard times, it a lot of times draws them together and mm-hmm. they will help each other it It reinforces the community and things like that. But when you have people that don't have that bond, it actually drives them apart, and Mm -hmm. they all become enemies of each other. And I fear that that's what our society is going to learn when we've lost this relationship with our God, is that we're not going to be equipped with that key element we need when things really get hard. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And uh, I'm thankful that you all can uh, live off the land, that you have a connection there where you're, you're comfortable in that lifestyle of course a lot of young people have not had the experience you've had and mm-hmm. uh, uh, when, when things get to be scarce and jobs are few and things like this um, they're going to be very very ill-equipped both spiritually emotionally but even in just vocationally in yeah. being able to handle a, a lifestyle that we all may have to return to
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. uh, and uh, <clears throat> I think uh, what you're doing uh, is an example. That I would sure like to see not only other young people but but even adults out there, hopefully would be encouraged that they would help you in your cause of mm-hmm. uh, trying to reach out to young people and show them a positive alternative that that uh, that can excite and motivate them. That's not a downer. Don't show them downer Christianity. Show them a Christianity that's vibrant and alive mm-hmm. and loving and fulfilling. And, and, you know, now we we, we may may not make as big of explosions as they do on TV and all the things that (laughs) Harry Potter does. And we can't fly around on brooms and that kind of thing. But if you'd agree with me, that living a Christian life is pretty fantastic in its own right.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. that's awesome.
3: And uh, I I would never trade it for a flying broom any time. Never. Uh, I, I don't know about you all. Do you have any comments on that?
4: Tom? Well, you know, I actually sawed up my flying brooms a couple of days ago, so, you know, I wrapped them up in the magic carpet. And
3: I thought it was more like a whisk sawed brush. Sawed them all it. in half.
4: Yeah. yeah. Well, I attached a whisk, you know, those, like, those mister, those dust vac, you know, the yeah. electric ones. I was using those to fly around know, with you. Just I, put them in reverse. Really? Really? Cross the... dust
3: devil, or yeah. whatever they call it. Like yeah. Dirt yeah. devil. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You ought to see
4: me with the Hoover vac. I'm almost... Knocked out a couple of low-flying satellites. Tom, you're with a lot
3: of young people. Tom, Tom goes to a church uh, on Sunday evenings uh, called the um, The Anchor. The Anchor mm-hmm. that has a lot of young people that are m- more your artist, bohemian kind of crowd.
4: A lot of tattoos.
3: Yeah, a lot of tattoos, a lot of kind of things like mm-hmm. that. But I mm-hmm. assume they have a different culture than kind of we're talking about here. How, mm-hmm. how is it different with them?
4: Um, you know, it. It obviously is different. But I would say that the core I would say the core points are, are kind of the same, you know. I mean that, you know, they still, you know, love Jesus and, you know, believe in the Lord and you know, ask him to forgive sins and all that stuff.
3: Um But they're I, not square people by no, any ve- never be classified I that was, way.
4: I was just getting to that. They're very un they're very unsquare. They're very mm-hmm. if you could get any more round, they're, they're they're about as square as a bowling ball. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, but, you know, I deal with, uh, you know, I like all those guys a lot, you know, well, first off, that's the thing. I just, you know, I sense from them this, you know, outpouring of the Lord and they really want to do service for the, you know, cause the, when the Lord said, you know, feed the least of these and take care of the least of these, they mean, he means the least of these, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't mean to do it, you know, when you have time once a year, he meant, you know, do it as much as you can. And those guys, those guys, they really do it. You know, but it's. I think the key thing there, the key thing with those guys is, um, well, yeah, I think the key thing is just loving Jesus.
3: Mhm. So. So they have the Spirit of Christ indwelling in them. So they 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 may seem a little more avant-garde in their dress and appearance from the average guy on the street, but their their actions are are pure Christ through and through.
4: Oh, absolutely.
3: Probably m- much much more so than the average guy on the street.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had you know. Uh, in a previous show, uh, uh, Doctor Future and I brought up uh, uh, the fact that one of the churches here in town spent half a million dollars getting their door just right. Well, the anchor, the anchor does all of those things that, that Christ said to do, and uh, you know, they most of the time don't make budget, right? You know, and do it anyway, find well, a way to do it anyway.
3: One of the things that these inner city um, dwell, urban dwellers, would have in common with both of you is that they're not materialistic. And I assume you've not been raised in a materialistic culture. I don't know. You're looking more for quality of life over quantity yeah. of possessions, and that's something they have in common. And your connectedness to uh, creation is something also I think they would respect very highly. It's
4: interesting you mention that because a lot of them, um, a lot of them have uh, are from, you know, farm backgrounds. Uh, a friend, of, uh, my friend and former neighbor, Julia down there, Julia Miller. Uh, she grew up on a farm, and her parents yeah. had um, llamas or something. Yeah, uh, alpacas. That's what it was. Yeah. alpacas. Yeah, uh, another another lady that goes there grew up on a farm, and you know, they go to this thing just because I think they've you know, something about the musician temperament. We're weird. Uh-huh. We're weird people.
3: Yeah, well, you know, there's just a strange connection between that, and and, you know, I, I much more closely relate to uh, Melissa and Emily to to sort of Ural's background. Where I come from, even though mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't be very helpful on a farm, uh, in but <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, i would see him on a tractor. I, just just you know, and <laughs> the overall perspective on things. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of our popular guests on our show, Robert Hyde, um, you know, we often talk about a lot of sort of scary or negative things about where things are going, even in the church. But he mentioned once that one of the positives we can say in real hope. Is in the young people in the church, mm-hmm. and the young people in the church seems to have a clearer vision. Uh, they're not tied down with materialism. They're not tied down with uh, achieving, uh, you know, physical goals of this world. Uh, mm-hmm. They have loftier goals in mind, and I would definitely say that you two fit within that, uh, within that paradigm. But he also uh, implied that there's a great responsibility that you all have. Uh, that the lord's called you to a special mission and what he appears to have found in you is is a calling as authors to mm-hmm. provide a a very subtle way in a way that's still enticing for young people to read find fascinating stories but also get a dose of reality and a mm-hmm. real understanding of what it is that they're dealing with and uh, i hope you understand the charge that the lord's given you
2: mm-hmm.
3: and and young young people like you uh, speaking of your books, do you have any plans now for any sequels or any other books that you plan to do or any other directions you plan to go?
5: Yes, this is book one of three, and if all goes well, we sure hope to keep on writing. We really like it and would love it if this would be what God has in our plan for him.
3: So am I to presume from this that uh, the end of the first book doesn't end with a big uh, nuclear mushroom cloud and Haven?
5: Well, not
3: quite
0: that bad, okay. <laughs> Nuclear mushroom
3: Well, I thought that'd be the end of the <laughs> series. You, <laughs> you save that. Although I will mention, you know, the Planet of the Apes movies, they had a nuke that blew up the world in the at the end of the second one, but they still made other ones. They just went back in time. So if you still have some kind of nuclear bomb go off there, you, you're you not in a hole. You can still figure out how to keep the series going.
4: Yeah, well, you know, you could have a mutate, really. That would be the thing to do. Mutate? Yeah. You know, like some of the main characters grow like four arms. And, and then you would compare eyes. that
3: to mutations in the Bible?
4: I'm working on it, man. Yeah. You're always shooting these ideas down before they're fully formed. Yeah, sorry about that, Tom. <laughs> hey.
3: Evidently, Tom and I don't work as good as uh, Melissa and Emily. Even though I'm sure we have equally good ideas to you all. Uh, so you got a couple more books planned. Are, are you all going to uh, uh, take a little break and maybe do something completely different in your writing? Oh,
5: maybe we've talked about doing just, playing fiction and talking about the life of a teenager
2: mm-hmm.
5: and different encounters with stuff and then return to fantasy again but we're planning on working on more of that when we're done with this series but we've we've been talking about future books and we're thinking about expanding going on more subjects and different variety of stuff it's, we like variety so mm-hmm. why not
3: <laughs> like maybe a cookbook or something like that
5: yeah, well I Emily to do that. She cooks pretty good.
3: Oh, is that right? Really? Mm. Yeah, uh we always accept cupcakes or anything like yeah. that here. Yeah, cupcakes, brownies, okay. uh, Future Quake Studios. Pumpkin
4: pie. Pumpkin yeah. cheesecake.
3: Yeah. Uh, braised Duck.
4: Braised Duck? The Aflac duck.
3: Yeah. Under glass. Pheasant under glass. <laughs> well, uh, you are after uh after this experience here, this ordeal on Future Quake, you think you'd come back and visit us? Sure. Yeah. You think so? Would you would you say it was sort of akin to uh, getting some molars pulled in the dentist office?
4: Yes.
5: Oh, I, don't know oh, right I thought that. you were talking. You no, not, not my co-host. <laughs> <It's a feeling. laughs>
3: well, <clears throat> we would certainly like to have you back, but I for, uh, before we run off here, I guess I'd better uh, ask you how our listeners can get a hold of your book.
5: Well, they can find it on Amazon. dot com, dot com. Or they can find it at our website, which is www.thereclaiming.com. And there they can keep up with, like, if, when our next book comes out or any other stuff we're doing. And also, the first 20 people to request a book from our website who email us will get free shipping on it if they mention the call letter to the radio station they heard it on. So. Oh, well, okay. That's nice.
3: Okay. Uh, if they mention Dr. Future or Tom Bionic, do they get, like, a free signature in there?
5: Oh All the books from our website I have a signature on them. Okay.
3: Well, So what else would they get extra? Could you give them if uh, they said Dr. Future or Tom Bionic? Oh, I like
5: could give, give them a dollar <laughs> off or something. Oh, you oh, don't have to
3: do that. I was I thinking like a bookmark or something yeah. like that, you know.
4: Maybe a jelly bean or something. Yeah, a postage
3: stamp. Yeah. So, something there like you. A nice shiny
5: sticker on the inside of the cover.
3: So, so, something to make them feel special. Yeah dollar up (laughs) well ladies I tell you it's been a pleasure to be with you here and um, I I really I tried to resist the temptation to dig too much in detail of your book because I know I don't want to spoil the details of it but in closing is there anything that you can share about the book that comes to mind that might intrigue people enough that if they're on the fence about getting your book they might want to look into it further
5: oh well, hmm, you think of anything, Emily? I,
3: I put you on the spot here, I understand.
5: <laughs> well, I could just say that in some parts of it, not all things are as they appear. We do have a few twists in it. Okay. Mm. That we see if people can find it, but...
3: So don't believe what you read?
5: Well, there are just a few things.
3: Just a few things
5: nothing there's no lies no lies it's yeah. just it's
3: twisting okay hmm. which is a good motto for life right yeah mm-hmm. yeah well we certainly understand that because um you know the only places we we say where where our listeners can get truth is in the holy bible and on mm-hmm. future quake
2: yeah <laughs> we never lead them wrong
3: either um can we count on you all to be regular listeners of the show as well
5: Oh we will try <laughs> all right can you
3: think you can shoehorn us in your schedule if yeah. you're not writing books all the time.
5: Mhm.
3: Well, ladies, I want to thank you so much for your time with us, and uh, I also want to thank Brother Tom. I was yeah. hoping he could be with us, but I know he's traveling right now. Has he been? Tre- has he been treating y'all okay?
5: Oh yeah, he's very very well. Yeah.
4: Been been given into your your substantial riders like the thousand brown jelly beans and.
5: <laughs>
4: Do what? Oh, well, there's this there's this sort of famous story that. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne wouldn't go on stage if they didn't have a thousand brown oh. jelly beans in his backstage, or brown M&Ms in a big jar. Yeah. Uh, did he
3: count them to make sure it was a thousand?
4: No, it's just a big thing. <laughs> but the whole idea was that where the heck do you get a thousand brown M&Ms? Yeah. They don't even make a brown M&M.
3: So if he didn't want well, to. Well, they go did. Out they used to. Oh,
4: really? Yeah. Uh, I don't think they do <laughs> anymore. I think it's blue now.
3: Maybe. Well, yeah, I know they got blue in there. You know, man. <laughs> Maybe the ones I had had just aged and they'd changed color. You may, want to, you may want to recycle yeah, the, the I've been feeling sort of yeah. bad. Well, you know, uh, it all comes back to White Castle because uh, um, Frank Sinatra would not go on stage unless they had a plate of White Castles before and after performance.
4: That's why he looks so aged at like <laughs> 23. <laughs> That's not true.
3: <coughs> I'm sorry, right, ladies. You all had nothing to do with that, but that happens to us frequently yeah. on our show. We get tell, bro- tell Brother Tom we said hello, would you? All right. And uh, he he's semi-regular on our show. Can you imagine that he would actually spend time with us? Doesn't that amaze you?
5: Oh, no.
3: I don't know if he feels sorry for us or what, but he, he does uh, spend a good bit of time with us on there. If he doesn't treat you well, I want you to come back and tell us, okay? Yeah,
2: we'll put you on. <laughs> All right.
3: If, if, you see the, if you see the dark side of Pastor Tom, I want you to let us know because yeah. he always shows us the good side here. <laughs> and I want you to come back and uh, not even just we'll, – we'll promote your, your book, too. And if you don't mind, we can put your uh, web address on our website. Is that yeah. all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be sure and put that up there. But um, even if you just have any other kind of personal developments, things you're seeing out there uh, mm-hmm. doing your promoting or things you're seeing out there in the world, you all have a, a tremendous uh, insight and uh, in, in maturity as Christians and I'm sure the Lord's going to use you quite a bit to uh, influence your generation and, and others as well, too, the ones that come behind you. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight.
5: Well, thank you very thank much. You.
3: Well, thank thank you again, and uh, we'll be sure to have you. Any last words, Tom?
4: Uh, let's get out of here. All that talk about food <laughs> earlier has kind of made me want
2: to graze <laughs> duck. Well, thanks,
3: ladies, and uh, we'll have you back again on Future Quake very soon, okay? All right, right. thank okay. you. Right. Have thanks a good bye. evening. Yeah. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. And uh, that was the conclusion of mm-hmm. our interview.
4: That was part four there with the uh, the Boveroff sisters there, mm-hmm. Emily and Melissa,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
4: 18 and 16, respectively. Can't uh, you
3: imagine how capable they're going to be as they continue to get yeah. older, do yeah. more of these?
4: The the wise old age of 22, and they'll be like rewriting mm-hmm. Webster's encyclopedia.
3: And they have like the 50th reunion of yeah. Reclaiming Haven. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. We'll you know, be, we'll it's be like J.
4: R. O. Tolkien's regularly, you know? Mhm. Well, yeah. You know. Uh I hope I hope you the listener have found it uh, you know, interesting and maybe even a little bit inspiring that people that, you know, could be this young are out there contending for the faith in sort of a unique way, you know. Uh it seems to me, as somebody who's outside of this all this stuff, that uh the books that kids are given by society to read these days are just totally fraught with uh, openly, you know, open wizards and black magic and, you know, chopping people' he- people's heads off for spells and just, you know, bad stuff. You know, we idolize, you know, that m- new movie came out, it's called Twilight, where they're idolizing, um, you know, vampires. They're idolizing vampires and uh, where it used to be used to stick them through the heart, uh-huh. you know. All we right. need to get back to sticking them Or use the
3: running thing. water.
4: Yeah, uh, and silver, silver was a big thing too with some vampires.
3: I think it's. I think a silver bullet. I know a vampire or a werewolf is supposed yeah, to it. Yeah, but
4: I think you can also get the vampire yeah. with silver bullets.
3: Too. Running water was my favorite one. one time I saw them; they died in a shower.
4: Wow, that's a cool. Yeah.
3: One. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what we're, direction we're supposed to go with this. Yeah. but Just well, as okay. an aside. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, cool. <clears throat> but you know, even those stories had a little bit of a spiritual allegory, which actually has been detached. The old yes. classic stories like that. They were, they were really trying to show, um, like I say, it was evil. Mm-hmm. Now they're sympathetic characters. Uh, vampires yes. are. They, they're, they try to yeah, show they're the are No side.
4: longer, no longer are vampires bad, but they're sort of almost the hero mm-hmm. character. Well,
3: let's, let's just be glad that is, is her name Anne Rice? What's, what's the woman that wrote all those books? Anne Rice. That she has gone the other direction and she's now writing quote Christian stuff. Well, although it actually, might be, you know, controversial what she does, but it's, Christian? Is it, is it Christian? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I, according to her, she's had a uh, well, return Deepak, to faith.
4: Deepak Chopra says all his stuff is Christian. Hey, don't too. talk about
3: him. He might be on our show one day.
0: Oh. <laughs> <dude>.
3: <laughs> and his fancy glasses. Speaking of fancy glasses, we need to bring Merv in. Took the words right out of my mouth. Merv, <laughs> would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us on Future Quake?
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at DoctorFuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go.
4: All right, uh, folks, until next time, we hope your future is very bright.
6: And come here tomorrow's tremors
3: tomorrow. Good. Snap. Goodbye.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Nothing can change
1: the shape. Things, nothing
3: can change the shape of to come. Welcome to the Friday edition of the
0: Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And here we go
3: again. It's Friday, which means...
4: It's not Friday, it's uh, Tuesday. Oh,
3: that's when we're recording. <laughs> You're not supposed to let them know we're not live in the studio. Thanks for giving away our big secret. <laughs>
4: Uh, is it that's, a secret? That's part it's not of why a secret we're secret now. <laughs> that's part of why we're so
3: obsolete with the news. Yeah, well that's okay though, because yeah. I think the know, world may have ended between now and Friday. Who knows?
4: Well, you know, the way things are going, yeah. you know, who knows? Yeah, whoever's out there that's still listening. Yeah. Uh, well, today's today is Friday, which is it's it's our it's news day.
3: Tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news.
4: Oh. Or that. Yeah. I just like my
0: abbreviation better, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, I know you do.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you. I just want to thank you so much for all of you all listening out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you a little piece of trivia if you're interested. Mm, I, happen to trivia. Lo- I happen to look um, at uh, our uh, futurequake.com website and some of the statistics on it. Uh-huh. Do you know our listenership of people who actually go there to download our shows mm-hmm. has increased almost 60% in the last four months?
4: Wow. I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, all the bad mouthing we've been getting in the press.
3: I don't know. Well, that's, that's pretty small, bad yeah. mouthing. We're not important enough to get excessive bad mouthing. No. Most of them don't know we exist. But Yeah. Uh, well, look
4: unimportant. That's right. <laughs> the enemy may
3: be low on ammo. Right? There you go. But... I want to thank all of you, and particularly all of our new listeners, but yes. uh, the ones who are faithful, and particularly the people who are uh, regular emailers. Uh, I sure appreciate. Uh, uh, I, I call uh, Joan out there, Sister Joan, our intelligence officer for Future mm-hmm. Quake, because she tips us off on yeah. a lot of guests and friends like uh, Brother Dave and yeah. uh, Al out there listening on uh, on the podcast on iTunes. And who, big, uh, uh,
4: big Johnny the Longshoreman.
3: Johnny the Longshoreman, the legendary yeah. Johnny the Longshoreman, he and is. a host of other. People, we have regular uh, emailers out there. I want to thank Brother Al out there for giving me a heads up that uh, something was wrong with our iTunes, and mm-hmm. I actually contacted one of our guests, David Lowe, who knows more about this, and he found it was some quirky kind of thing. Oh. But it's working now. So if I any don't. y'all had problems before, pass the word out Everything's fine. Yeah. And I continue listening. But I think we have stories to do right now. Yes, we do. So uh, you want to go first? Um,
4: I'll, I I got a quick one here and just a little bit of commentary. Later on. Um. There we go. Then we then we can go to you. I know you've got some great ones. I've got up. one brief one that's timely for this week, and uh-huh. then I got some heavy duty. I, I well I I know the heavy duty one. Okay. So we'll I'm, I'm looking off. forward to that. Uh this one is from Bloomberg, uh dated uh, January sixth. German billionaire Adolf Merkel Merkel, uh I guess it's Merkel. M E R C K L E Merkel. That's good. Yeah, Merkel killed himself broken as his business empire crumbled under a growing burden of debt, his family said. Merkel 74 was hit by a train near his hometown of Braubarren, southeast of Stuttgart, yesterday evening.
0: By the way, I've been to Stuttgart. I believe I've, I've driven through it. I never really? stopped. Really? Yeah. Really? I've been at Mercedes Benz headquarters. They took me through for something. Well, wow, cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Go around their little test track, their bank track. Like at a high rate of speed, or what? Mm, not as high as it could be. Oh well,
4: that's neat. Sorry. Lucky you. Could sit. Go on. Uh, developed. Devel- newspaper reported uh, on his desk Death. Merkel, whose holding company owes banks about 5 billion euros, uh, which is 6.7 billion American, owned stakes in Heidelberg Cement AG and drug wholesaler Phoenix Pharma Handel AG. The dedicated family businessman was broken by his inability to handle the situation and he ended his own life, the Merkel family said in a statement today. Merkel, whose estimated 9.2 billion fortune put him 94th on Forbes' list of the world's richest people, had been hurt by bets on Volkswagen's AG, a drop in the value of Heidelberg cement stock, and, and increasing debt. He had been seeking emergency financing for more than two months from, from a group of more than 30 banks led by Commerce Bank AG, Deutsche Bank AG, Royal Bank of Scotland Group PLC, and Landesbank Baden-Württemberg. His empire was falling apart, said Stefan Mueller, managing partner of propriety partners AG in Frankfurt. This was his last desperate act. Um. Well, you got you get the picture. You know, there's so many people out there. This is my
3: commentary. No, I said, that's just a representative story. There's a bunch of high-level investment people killing themselves, right? Yes, now. I was I almost was, every time. Sorry. Yeah.
4: No, no. You 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 we're reading each other's thought.
3: We must be getting good at this. We're mind melding.
0: <laughs> it's like Star Trek.
3: And if you listen to us now, you will join us as yes. the Borg. Yes. Yes. Future Quake Borg. <laughs> Resistance is futile. And collective weirdness.
4: Resistance is
3: futile, Doctor. <laughs> or as they say, Guy Malone's uh, alien resistance headquarters. Resistance is fertile.
0: <laughs> anyway, okay, you're coming. Seriously, here.
3: seriously. There's all these
4: people. You know, I can I see it everywhere. Like everybody's getting down and uh, you know, don't do anything. Don't do anything bad. Money's this money's this really, it's transitory. It it's. Money is good to have, but it's transitory. That's a good point.
3: Yeah. There's people all... I, Even if you have a small business out there. If you're a small businessman out there, and this may be a year where you don't lose tons of money, but you might lose your retirement, or yeah. you may just lose your small business yeah. because of job downturn mm-hmm. and real estate or things like yeah. that. So it can affect not just billionaires, but...
4: Mm-hmm. Everybody. And I'm saying this, I don't think we have too many billionaires that listen, although I don't, I don't know. know. Um, but, you know, Jesus knows where you are, and don't, you know don't do anything like uh, Adolf Merkel. And I just cuz I just see more and more right. people getting more and more crazy. Good point. And um I just wanted to that's that that's my entire commentary.
3: And even though. if it just comes to losing your job. Mhm. If it's just that, I mean, obviously that's, that's a big a deal. That's a blessing, trust yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, no, that's an excellent point you're making and it's going to be a point of maximum stress in 2009, I'm afraid to say, mm-hmm. most likely. So um I have read, I don't know how many biographies of people who had very, very successful lives when it was all said and done, but most of them had certain chapters of their life mm-hmm. where they lost everything.
4: Yeah, and and not only that, well, Buckminster Fuller, you know. had Mr. A,
3: Geodesic Dome. Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. very
4: one,
0: you know. He was his, a globalist.
4: He was? Yeah. Oh Well, he was ready to, like, jump jump in a, in, a, in a river, and then he thought, you know, maybe not. Yeah. And then he came back. But the point is, I, the larger point is, not is you know, certainly things can come back. Things can get better. But the point is is that, you know, I mean, it's not the most important thing in the world.
3: And this stuff is going to happen in the world. It's yeah. going to happen in life. And, in fact, you may not know other people around you. It looks like they're all doing well. Mm-hmm. They often don't tell you everything happens in their life. Most of those people have had similar circumstances at some stage. You just don't know about
4: it. I had a friend of mine a couple of months ago just, like, I thought was just, She was totally together and then, you know, walked by her desk and she's like on her knees crying about something. And it was just stunning. You know, it turns out that she's had all this Mm -hmm. stuff and she's been keeping it together, just barely keeping it together. And then that morning, just,
3: you know, you know, nervous breakdown time. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I suggest for people, if you're getting really bummed or down in the mouth about it, Mm -hmm. find somebody like that at your work or neighbor and minister to them. Try to encourage them and Mm -hmm. the Lord will lift you up. Why you do that yeah uh or uh or in addition listen to go, brother
4: carl's interview <laughs> that yeah go, you
3: yeah or uh go to um your local body of believers and you should be in a church yeah uh go there have them lift you up in prayer mm-hmm. as you lift them up and and then trust that mm-hmm. they're on a the prayer
0: list that your needs will be met
4: god knows where you are mm-hmm. and i know that it, it may suck wherever you are right now but uh, he knows where you are and he loves you not just mm-hmm. a little bit a whole, a whole lot, way more than you can even comprehend. Would you say a quick prayer
3: for the Yes, people? I would. I know we're time short, yeah. but just say a real quick one okay. for everybody.
4: Heavenly Father, um, I come before you with a quick prayer request. Uh, there's so many people out there losing their jobs and things are going haywire. Uh, Father, I just ask that uh, uh, you, you know, you remain faithful, and I know you will. Um, I, I almost feel like I shouldn't have to pray for it because I know that you are faithful, Lord. Uh, but just those people out there who are stressing out and freaking out, uh, be with them and lift them up. Make sure that they don't do anything that uh, they shouldn't do. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.
3: Amen. You know, I just saw something online the other day. It was like 20 of the richest mi- people in the world, mm-hmm. all multi, multi, multi-billionaires. Most of those people have lost between 70 and 90% of their wealth. Yeah. Um Famous people.
4: Yeah, like... Uh, What was that guy I saw?
3: The Microsoft guys, Gates, Buffett, um, on and
4: on and on. Well, young, uh Skilting, this famous Icelandic banker. One of our listeners. Billions of dollars. He's now worth an estimated zero. Seriously. <laughs>
3: well, I'll never, I'll never forget when Donald Trump had lost everything, and he was way, way in the hole, mm-hmm. deep in the hole. Mm-hmm. He was walking with Marla, his main squeeze on his arm, mm-hmm. and they saw a, a bum in the street laying in the gutter. Mm-hmm. And he says, Marla? That guy is worth $300 million more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. Can, <laughs> I sh- funny. can I share with you something light? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this uh, this uh, comes from Raiders News Network. Ebenezer author visited by Osteen and Stafford. Uh, Joel Osteen, Branson Celebrities attend Anomalous Authors book signing. Books a Million Underestimates Ebenezer Draw. Now, if you remember, we did a few weeks a review of the book Ebenezer with Don, Donna Howe mm-hmm. on our show. I thought Donna was nice. Well, <clears throat> evidently she's hanging in the big leagues now. Uh, it says here that Books a Million, one of the nation's leading book retailers, opened its doors to a new store in Branson in August. Oh, I hate that town. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, man. You don't like Branson? I've been to Branson. Thank you, I've, all our listeners in Branson. We really I've love played, you and appreciate no, you.
4: Well, I've played in Branson before. I, I can say yeah. personally... That it is not my favorite town.
3: Well, did you shoot a man there to watch him die or something?
4: Read on. Okay. <laughs> uh,
3: it says, uh, among the holiday books chosen by the national chain to be featured during the month of December was a sequel to Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. by first-time author Donna Howe. Uh, her book, Ebenezer, The Final Years of Scrooge, which we have profiled here recently. Um, and uh, it says on December 20th uh this year, or just past year, Donna Hal sat with uh, four times the quantity of books the managers of Books of Million expected her to sign. Uh, as her first time at such an event, Hal had been warned that the typical experience involves bulking up the stock of a book uh, to catch the attention of passersby, but that usually only a fourth of the books will be purchased during a signing. Halfway through her event and almost out of Ebenezer, Hal was surprised when mega best-selling author and senior pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, Joel Osteen, whose ministry uh, reaches over 7 million viewers weekly in the U.S. and millions more around the world, entered the store and requested an autographed copy of Ebenezer. Osteen informed her that if the book met expectations, he would be passing on good words through his ministry for the first-time author's work. As crowds of uh, people gathered around Hal and Osteen, Jim Stafford of the Jim Stafford Show, one of Branson, Missouri's most popular and longest-running shows, walked into the building and requested a signed copy of Ebenezer as well. As Osteen, Stafford, and Powell talked, we'll talk about a trio, soon laughing about recent (laughs) funny (laughs) radio commercials advertising Stafford's popular show Branson, Branson's well-known Elvis impersonator, who has his own show in the city, showed up and purchased one of the last signed copies of Ebenezer. Hal signed out of books as uh, – she ran out of books as customers were drawn to the scene hoping to meet the well-known personalities and to see what the excitement was all about. Hal's publisher, Anomalous Publishing, reports that the turnout was one of the best author signings they've had so far.
4: Wow. We're kingmakers, dude.
3: Well, I think there's something behind the scenes here. The rest of the story. I think a lot of those people came running, including uh, Osteen Stafford mm-hmm. and this Elvis impersonator and the other people, because when they heard her, they just assumed that you and I were going to be there.
4: I was going to say, yeah, that well, they had listened to Future Quick and they'd figured that,
0: you know, it's like getting to know.
3: That Osteen pesters me to death with emails. You know, why well, don't why don't, you have, death. why don't you have why don't you why don't you have more Nathalemon? You know? <clears throat> why don't you talk more about the cross and about sin and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, atonement and repentance? I just I, I If I hear more too. if I hear more from Joel Steen about repentance and sin and you know yeah. that kind of stuff. I get, I get those, tired of hearing it from you. I
4: get those things in the letters in the mail from him and I just erase my name and write his name and then you? write you?
3: I just I email him back and say, Look, you're too much of a downer. Yeah, you need to focus on positive things and pick yeah, me up. Yeah,
4: yeah, not don't don't teach so much Bible, you know. Just what I I what I need from you is more self help.
3: What I wonder is if this is a <laughs> yes, right. if this is a sign that maybe she has some Illuminati connections.
4: I was going to say it might be a sign. Yeah, it might be a sign of the apocalypse. I don't you know. know if
3: Donna Hal has. It's it. upon us now. Was she, did <laughs> you see her when you went to the outside of Bohemian Grove? Yeah, oh. she
4: was actually the person that was dressed up. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't recognize her. women's auxiliary. Yes. Yeah. She was hiding in the bushes with like a ghillie suit on and a fifty cal.
3: Mm-hmm. You should have told her what Jesse Jackson says. Stay out the bushes.
4: Oh, I thought you were going to talk about that his his various commentaries on the
3: Obama uh, Obama no 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 no. 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 Uh, so anyway, <laughs> that was uh something interesting there I thought. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just in honor of uh, Jim Stafford, are you a Jim Stafford fan? I'm a Tim Stafford fan, but not a Jim. Jim Stafford, Stafford used to have a show when he was a kid and, you know, one of his favorite uh, songs was "I Don't Like Spiders and Snakes," and that ain't what it takes to when love this, me. When did this? When did this occur? You fool, you fool. Huh? When did this show occur? Oh, it was a bestseller. I mean, it was a top-notch show, prime time. When? Probably early seventies. Seventy-eight. Oh, well, were you born? Yeah. Who? Well, I mean, it was a great show, All and right, uh, he's like the darling now. He's sort of like the little Jimmy Dickens of Branson, Jim Stafford. He has another song, "My Girl Bill." You remember that? My girl, Bill.
4: Uh, anybody who's calling their girl Bill needs to... You well, know, it, it, it's sort of a little play know. on words.
3: You, you think something different till at the end you realize he's saying, you know, stay away from her. She's my girl, comma, Bill. So, you get it. Mm. You know, our times are wasting. Yeah. And I have a big one to do, but if I you've know. got something else to lay on, so lay on us... So, do we
4: want to talk about uh, the inconvenient truth? About what? Uh, uh, Al Gore. Or do we want to talk about... uh? Ico, the uh, the perfect female prototype, um, albeit she is made of metal and rather cold in personality.
3: Uh, I think Gore is so yesterday, so just give us a yeah. little bit on her. Okay. But I've got this big heavy-duty thing. So This is
4: this is my new favorite news site of late. It's called Weird Asia News.
0: Okay, that's right. Yep. Here's the perfect female
4: prototype, albeit, albeit she is made of metal and rather cold in personality. She can clean house, even do the windows, remember his favorite drink, and even read the newspaper headlines to him. The byproduct of the latest technology, you still better mind your step and be careful what you say in her presence. Ico sees and knows all, and like most women, never forgets anything. (laughs) Lee Trung, 33, a former software programmer from Ontario, Canada, has spent $28,000 creating his metallic dream girl. He has taken out credit cards and loans, sold his car, and even spent his life savings on perfecting his fembot. According to Trung, Ico is an active babe in her 20s. With a svelte figure, shiny hair, and very delicate features, she speaks English and Japanese, and is, and is so accomplished and is so accomplished at mathematics, she keeps her creator's accounts. Mr. Trung told the press that he has never had that he has never had time to find a real partner, and has made her, so he made her instead.
3: This is the liberal slash occult dream come true. Separate us from each other in reality, immerse us in unrealistic fantasies. And basically just nullifies from doing anything useful.
4: Yeah, that's why I read it, man. This guy's out of his mind, and he doesn't even realize it. He's in a prison of
3: well, moonbatness. All, 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 all he's doing is doing a more extreme case of what most people in our society do. How many people are immersed in pornography, immersed in video games, or anything that creates a fantasy of what they'd want their own selfish world to be rather than the real world. Yeah. Well, Those are all versions of that. My myself, opinion.
4: myself. I'm so good-looking, I just put, like, 25 mirrors around the house and mm-hmm. spend time combing my I hair. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah. yeah. It's cheaper than the video games or the $28,000, uh, what's her name, Ico.
0: Ico. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Uh, Ico is what happens when science meets beauty. This is Mr. Trung,
0: the okay, inventor,
4: yeah. meets beauty. I want to make her look, feel, and act as human as possible so she can be the perfect companion. Mm. I talk to her a lot. <laughs> Now, that's just insane, and hope to improve her knowledge. So far, she can understand and speak 13,000 different sentences in English and Japanese. She recognizes faces and says hello when any of my family come to visit. She helps me pick pick what what to have for dinner and knows what drinks I like. She even helps me with directions when we're going somewhere. She has all senses except for smell, is very patient, and never complains.
3: You know, I should, I should share this story with Mrs. Future. I know she'd probably be blessed by that and like to know what her expectations are and, you know, mm-hmm. what her goal is. She should. Yeah. Be. What What? what if you had invested all that time making that into a relationship with a person?
4: You
0: know how I was saying great minds think alike? Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to read it. You know, all that time he did that, he could have... It's set to a whole ton of chick flicks and other things you sort of have to do, you know. He could have went to he could have went and seen Steel Magnolias like ten times.
3: Fried green tomatoes.
4: Fried green tomatoes. What, yeah. What's the other one though? I my, don't know. My that's, big fat Greek wedding. Although I like that. It's yeah, pretty, that, that is, is
3: pretty funny. That is sort of the gang of three of yeah. chick flicks. Yeah. Can I share with a little something here? Unless you have more to. No, no, no. That's. With. I mean, I've made my point. Go okay. <clears throat> here we are in the last minute. Uh, I've really don't have time to go into this detail, but um, I'm going to relate something that I get, was given a heads up in um, William Griggs' excellent blog at freedominourtime.blogspot.com. Yeah. But I want to give a little background on this, and then maybe I'll talk more about it later. What he talks about here is he alludes to an event where Patton and MacArthur ended up having a fire on our own veterans. Uh, back in 1932, when they came to Washington to get the benefits that were promised to them. Uh, some of you may not know anything about it. I just printed off a little something off a mm-hmm. third-party source, of a historical thing about it. it um, they were called the Bonus Army. Uh, it says, the self-named Bonus uh, Expeditionary Force is an assemblage of 43,000 marchers, 17,000 World, World War I veterans, their families and affiliated groups, who protested in Washington, D.C. in the spring and summer of '32, Called the Bonus March by the news media, the Bonus Marchers were known as the Bonus Army. The war veterans sought immediate cash payment of service certificates, granted them eight years earlier, uh, uh, via the Adjusted Service Certificate Law in 1924. Each service certificate issued to a qualified veteran soldier bore a face value equal to the soldier's promised payment plus compound interest. The problem was that the certificates, like bonds, matured 20 years from the date of original issuance, which means they'd most be dead by then. Mm -hmm. Thus, under the law, the service certificates were unredeemable until 1945. The Bonus Army was led by Walter uh, W. Waters, a former Army sergeant, and were encouraged in their demand for immediate cash payment redemption by retired Marine Corps Major General Smedley Butler, one of the uh, most popular military figures of the time. And one of the most heroic patriots, I might add, in world in United States history. He, he led the bonus army? Uh, he came and encouraged them. He oh. was the one that told them they were on the right. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, skis, I'll skip some of the kind of stuff. Uh, uh, although there was congressional support for immediate redemption of the certificates, President Hoover and Republican congressmen opposed that because it would negatively affect the federal government's budget and depression relief programs. So they didn't want to impact depression relief by helping their soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, veterans organizations pressed the federal government to allow the early redemption. Uh, the bonus army ma- uh, amassed in the Capitol on June 17th, and as the U.S. Senate voted on the bonus bill, which would have moved forward the date when War I veterans received the cash. Most of the bonus army camped in Hooverville uh, on the Anacostia Flats, then a swampy, muddy area across the river from the Federal Corps of Washington. The camps built for material scavenged from a nearby rubbish dump were tightly controlled by veterans with streets laid out, sanitation facilities built, and parades held daily. To live in the camps, veterans were required to register and prove they had been honorably discharged. The protesters had hoped they could convince Congress to make payments that would be granted to veterans immediately, uh, which would have provided relief for marchers who were unemployed during the, due to the Depression. And the Republicans didn't want to give them that because they didn't want to interrupt depression mm-hmm. relief. Yeah. Okay. Complete insanity. The the bill passed the House of Representatives on June 15th but was blocked by the Senate. Uh, so in July 28, 1932, uh, uh, Attorney General Mitchell ordered the police evacuation of the Bonus Army veterans who resisted. The police shot at them and killed two. Shot our veterans. Great. When told of the killings, President Hoover ordered the U.S. Army to effect the evacuation of the Bonus Army. Now – This was not for their protection. It was after them. Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. Okay. uh, At 4.45 p.m., commanded by General Douglas MacArthur, our great war hero, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: um, and the 3rd Cavalry Regiment, supported by six battle tanks, commanded by Major George S. Patton. So we got Patton and MacArthur here Mm -hmm. with their greatest enemy, our own servicemen. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> formed in Pennsylvania a- Avenue, while thousands of civil service employees left work to lie in the streets and watch the U.S. Army attack its own veterans. Again, this is this is from a history source. This is not from a biased thing. Mm-hmm. The Bonus Marchers, believing the display was in their honor, cheered the troops until Major Patton charged the cavalry against them, an action which prompted civil service employee spectators to yell "shame, shame" against the charging cavalry. After the cavalry charge, infantry with fixed bayonets and
0: atom site gas, which is a gas that has effects on your nervous system, makes you throw up and mm-hmm.
3: get very sick, uh, they entered the uh, bonus army camps, evicted veterans, families, and camp followers. Uh, the veterans crossed the river. Uh, President Hoover ordered the army assault stopped. Uh, however, however, General MacArthur, even though this was, he told him to stop, MacArthur, feeling this free speech exercise was a communist attempt to overthrow the government, he decided on his own. He ignored the president and ordered a new attack on the retreating bonus army people. Hundreds of veterans were injured, several were kill, killed, including William Hushka and Eric Carlson. Uh, a veteran's wife miscarried and many other veterans were hurt. The Posse Comitatus Act, forbidding civilian work for, uh, police work by the U.S. military, they say did not apply to Washington, D.C. because it is a federal district uh, directly governed by the U.S. Congress. So they found a loophole to get around the Constitution. Uh, a movie, which I would like to get called "Gabriel Over the White House," was released by MGM in March 1933 that depicted the Bonus March, but with a more positive outcome. Here's how they betrayed it. Produced by William Randolph Hearst, Cosmopolitan, Cosmopolitan Pictures, Crazy. who was known for yellow journalism yeah. and, and basically uh, finding opportunities to enter war, it concerned the movie concerned the actions of President Hammond. Who ends the depression and solves the marchers' problems through authoritarian means, which result in a stable economy, elimination of crime, and creation of world peace? Great, what a joke! That sounds like 2009 to me. Yeah, what a complete—you know—a president through authoritarian means will end the depression, mm-hmm. and through authoritarian means, via uh, you know the armies we now have mm-hmm. to to do this. So, yeah, what a complete. Anyway, joke. I got some quotes I want to read next time about. Uh, about what General Patton has to say, and they'll blow your socks off uh, yeah, was, directly from him. Yeah, but we got to go. Okay, Murph, come idea. in. Tell us uh, how they can find out more about Future Quake.
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
0: Okay, we've got to go. Ten seconds. Um, that's it. We're done. Come back next
3: week. We've got a great show. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: There are new dreams, crowding out old realities. There's revolution, sweeping like a fresh new breeze. Let the old world make believe, it's blind to death.